Hello? Hey. How's it going, man? What's up? How you doing? Excited to have you on. Yes, I am excited to be on. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Dana Pro. I said your name right. Dana Pro? Dupriel. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah. That's how you say it. Uh, this is audio or we have a video? Yeah, it's just audio. Okay, cool. Just it wasn't wanted to make sure. Okay, great. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so uh, when did you start doing comedy? Um, oh, man. That's... It's so it's it's strange. I think with like a lot of comedy, uh, a lot of people who start comedy, uh, I started probably. Well, I know when I, it was when I was thirty, uh, tw- maybe twenty nine, going on thirty, and I started. I did about four mics in uh, my first year. You know, mm-hmm. I, I, the first mic that I did, um, you know, I, I bombed. I ate such shit in such a big way that I didn't get back on for like another three months. And, um, and then, I mean, that's kind of funny too, because I, I had a, as I understand now, I didn't realize at the time I had a particularly bad first show or first mic. And, right. uh, I didn't realize that it was exceptionally bad. Uh, and I just was like, Oh, this must be, I knew it was brutal, but I didn't know it was like this. So I went away for a couple months Still had the itch, uh, went back a couple of times, but I didn't really get started in earnest until I was uh, 30 and I was living in L.A. Right. So uh, don't mind me asking, how old are you now? Uh, I'm 37. Oh, OK. So, yeah. so I'm a little old. I started a little late. Yeah. But I mean, actually, you know, I talk about it a lot with people that that's a common thing that we talk about a lot is starting out because I like the I like the origin story in comedy. Yes, yeah, I just find it so fascinating, and you never really get to like hear really about that from comedians, like how they really started and everything. And a common thing is that a lot of people I know have started in their thirties, and it's it's a thing like everyone's so conscious about it when they start in their thirties. But to yeah. me, I think that's kind of a good thing because at that age, you have three decades of experience in life, mm-hmm. so you have plenty to write about. Yeah. And like shit has happened to you. So like yeah. I started when I was uh I say 22 but I was like 21 mm-hmm. when my I first started. So but I, it was like 5 months until I was 22. So I always count 22. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's always hard. Like, Comedy yeah. timelines are always they're soft timelines. It's hard to like there isn't like a yes, today is the date I'm starting comedy. So it's like can, can be tough. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. It's like for me what I did was I uh there was no, and there still really isn't, like, there was no, there's now open mics and stuff, but there was no open mics back then, and there was only, like, really professional comics could only perform, and then, like, you had to, like, uh, New Brunswick for, like, the Stress Factory, and that oh, was yeah. it, and it was, like, I didn't even know about that, and then what happened was I did, uh, like, what was really popular was this local improv class, and it was older, like, people, like, older than me, like, my sister's age, like, four years older than me. And then <laughs> I had that teacher uh, as a drama teacher in high school, in, you know, middle school. And then in high school, like, I was in this singing class. And at the end of the year of my, like, soft, my uh, freshman year, at the end of my freshman year, I saw, like, a flyer for it. So I ended up doing it because that was, like, the only way in. Because I was, like, I'm going to do improv for, like, 
I was like, I'm going to do it for a month, and then I'm going to find stand-up. And then I ended up doing it for, like, four years. <laughs> well, you know, I, I'm not an improviser myself, uh, but I, I don't subscribe to the weird hate that a lot of comics have for yeah. improvisers. I have, I, a think... mix of, I have a mix of it because I, I was in it for a long time. So, like, I like it, but I understand both sides of it. Right. Like, you've been on both sides of it. And to me, my thing was, like, I could never – the thing that's hardest about improv is – there's a little bit stuff now, but like, you can't really like they have competitions and stuff that they can do, but there's not really a whole lot that you can do. No. Like it's usually supposed to be like a stepping point, right? So anyone who does it usually, they're either they're well, either going to be stand-ups, yeah, or going to be actors. It, it's or... so funny because like with comedy, there's rungs that you climb in the ladder. It's still right. defined, but you still have like steps that you climb on the way to success it feels like with improv and i don't know because i don't do it but yeah. it feels like improv it's like poorly attended shows for 10 to 15 years and then maybe snl like, right it feels like it's just this it also depends on like where you are because like they have like now they have comedy sports which is like a competition and they have a show now on uh what is it mtv yeah wild and out yeah, and stuff right and like they have that now but it's like and- very little it used to be like you know yeah, and They're in really LA, LA and New York, it. and I guess Chicago, they have like all the schools. So yeah. I guess you can kind of rise yeah. through the ranks of the schools. But yeah. a lot of that to me, I mean, like not trying to knock their business model, no. everyone's got to pay the rent. But I have, as a comic, a little apprehension with like any sort of structure that requires fees paid to rock. Oh, yeah. You know, because it's like at what point, because like in comedy, like, you know, I'm doing, we're doing this on our own. You know, I'm not right. worried that someone's trying to just use me for my money. Uh, right. But I imagine if I was an improviser, even if I was a good improviser, in the back of my mind, I feel like it would be dwelling like, am I just someone keeping the school afloat or am I actually like an right. improviser that – I think it all depends on where you are at and like what yeah. you're doing. Like yeah. that's really what I think it is. Like to me when I did it, it was just local improv. So like to me what was good about it was it had a good reputation – among people there, like, oh, we really like this. It's very, very popular. And to me, my thing was, like, I could never do – I fit in very well because I could, like – it sounds extreme, but I don't know how to word it anyway. I could survive. Like, I could mm-hmm. I could at least hold my own. Like, yeah. I didn't have all the skills, but, like, at least I could. You had like, the natural talent that you weren't floundering. So I wouldn't, like, flounder, and I wouldn't, like, you know – I was, like – I the thing I envied that I couldn't do, I couldn't do voices mm. or impressions. I still can't, I still can't do characters and stuff. So that was always very hard for me to like, sort of eke out my own thing. Yeah. And like, Oh, I can do this character. I had one character that I did, uh, was a, uh, you know, the comedian Lewis black. Of course. Yeah. It was like a rip off of him as a, um, as like a vice principal, at a prom, okay. like telling the kids not to dance suggestively. Okay, it's like they're fucking like rabbits on the, so on the dirty dance dancing floor. Lewis Black. Okay, and it's like it was kind of like that. It's like they're dancing like rabbits on the, <laughs> they're fucking like that, rabbits on the dance that's floor, funny. Like, like that. And that's the only thing that I had. Yeah, I I'm not. Like an, like, like I'm good at voice caster, but I'm not good at at like improv level voices. Like the yeah. voices I do are good to get me through an act out. But right. Like, at improv, you definitely need closer to impressions and like more fleshed out thing. Yeah. 
So while I think as far as comedy is concerned, I happen to do go into voices a lot, but I don't feel like my skill at that is good enough to maintain like an entire character-based sketch, you know? Right. Yeah. Just, you know, just enough to punctuate a, a punchline, you know? Oh yeah, for sure. Like with you, you're just so like, it's, it's weird to say as a comedian, like you have, not that people aren't, you know, funny because when comedians, of course, they're funny, but it's sure. like you're a very naturally like funny person. Thank you. To me. Thank you. Like, that just seems very much like a part of your personality, if that makes any type Thanks. of sense. I mean, comedy helped bring that out. I, I was always funny. I was like the, you know, like a funny guy. And, you know, my friends regarded me as funny, but I was never like a life of the party guy. I was never like a get up in front of people. Right. Ache the whole room laugh kind of guy. I was like, the dude that like, if we're at the party, we, there's like, if someone's smoking pot in a back room, I might be getting laughs there, but I'm not like flitting around, letting everybody like, oh my God, this guy's like the best. That was not me at all. That kind of, it's like, I don't even know, necessarily know that you need to be a funny person in real life to be funny on stage. It helps. But uh, um, I definitely wasn't the person that everyone was like, oh, you should do stand up. Literally, it was. I was doing sketch comedy uh, with some friends after college, and that's kind of when I came into my own on that. And then a friend of mine who is a really great stand-up, he doesn't really do it anymore. He's a TV producer. He actually is the producer of Fuckboy Island. But, oh, wow. Yeah, he's great. His name's Bill Dixon. He's an amazing – I was just talking to him recently. He's an amazing comic. He, he doesn't really perform anymore because his career's going so well. But – um he hit me up and um, he's the one who not only got me jobs out in LA to start, but he got me into comedy. He just kept pushing me and being like, you know, you should do stand up. I believe that you'd be great. I'm out here. And I think that, you know, and I think you've seen this too, cause you've been in the game for a long time. You see these young comics and you're like, okay, you're super raw, but you have like it. You know? Oh yeah. And I didn't have, the, I, I might've had that it or whatever, but I definitely didn't have any of the tools or any of the natural ability I felt. And so when I was going up, especially in Philly, which is a tough town, um, I was just dying and eating shit and being like in the back of my mind, like, I don't know why my friend sees this. Like he must be seeing something incorrectly. And then once I got to LA, uh, I moved out there to work on TV and film. And then he was out there. And so we hit the grind together out there. And that's when it kind of like, you know, you build, there's, we're talking about stepping stones. Like you start right. you're like, okay, you get one joke that consistently gets laughs. And then that turns into that joke turns into a bit. And then right. all of a sudden you have like your five and then you start building confidence yeah. in yourself. And now, yeah, I, I'm lucky to be in a place where I have that, like, yeah, I, you know, I don't think I'm the funniest motherfucker on the planet, but I have supreme confidence that if like I get up, you know, I used to dread like the idea of like walking into a show and somebody being like, Oh, do you want a guest spot? You know, like what right. I haven't like mentally practiced for for like an right. hour, like no fucking way. Never happened at that level for me. Right. But now it's like, yeah, it, somebody could be like, you want to do 20? And I, I would be like, yeah, please, let's do it. You know, like, a, I've, I've got it now. Like I've got that confidence in myself. And so, yeah, that was really good. I don't know when exactly that happened in my comic development. But like once that happened, that's when I started doing like I started taking more chances on stage. I started to. You can just not care if what I was doing was bombing. I mean, you've seen me do a lot of things. Like lately, I've been writing a lot of jokes that have like huge act outs. And um, that's hard to do yeah. on open mic, especially because comics don't really like act outs. Um, I think the big thing is that people just want 
And this is a bad thing about open mics. They're supposed to be fun, and they're supposed to mm-hmm. be, you know, comedy's supposed to be fun. And you I told you this, like, your stuff always reminds me of that in like a in like a good way of like, Thank oh, you. this shit is supposed to be fun. I always forget that. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you just get stuck in the grind. You're like, oh, comedy sucks, and then yes. you go to an open mic, and you're just like, you can see it in all the comics that've been doing it a while. Mm-hmm. It's just like they don't have that passion. So when anyone tries anything new or different, it can sort of be like, we just want to get this night over with. What are you doing? Yes, and then it's like, I'm doing. I'm actually doing something, guys. Yep. It's like, yep. I'm well, actually contributing to the mic and making it were you, fun. Yeah, we, well, we do a lot of mics together. Were you at the one mic where the guy showed up in a sailor suit? Yeah, I was there. Song? Yeah, I, I was there. The, he was my favorite. He was my favorite, too. Night. And like, everyone it, shit on him, and everyone was like, yeah. Uh, they were like, I took a few pictures, but I didn't, you know, tape yeah. it. I was like, I wish I could have taped it. Like, that was, and showed it to my mom, because she would have loved it. And yeah. it was just like. And for context, stuff like that. Yeah, for context for anyone listening, yeah, it's like this guy, he wasn't a comic. Maybe he'd no. been on stage once or twice in his whole life. He was like this like man in his like pushing 60 or over. And he just came out in this little sailor outfit and he sang a song by King Missile. And then it was like he did like two minutes and he was like, All right, I'm done. And he walked right. on stage. Well, a lot of comics were like that, like, oh, what the fuck was this? But I it was funny, I noticed me and a couple of the more like seasoned comics, and I I didn't see you, but I know you were doing the same thing in the room. We were like glued to it we were like glued oh, to it yeah just like yes. oh my god like something that is completely different was it good no but no. i loved every second but it was great it. because of... <laughs> it's such a weird thing to say yeah no it wasn't good it was great yeah exactly but it was it, great in a different way yeah no like... totally because like i think also when you're in the game for so long you see so much of the people trying the same things that right. even if the person is whiffing with something new fuck i'll watch it like it's right you know it's like oh yeah, uh, I love talking. The one, no, so I love. You're being a great guest so far. You're being perfect, which oh, is well, great, you. just fantastic. If you just want to see that, <laughs> because it's always the thing. I'm always like, I, I hope the person talks because oh, that's a yeah big part of it. I but, love uh, the sound of my own voice. I'm a great podcast guest. I, yes, I, with you, I, uh, I said like talking to you was like a comedy fan blowjob. It was like, oh, this is awesome. Like, just talking to him is like actually pretty, like, I love having that type of comedian that you can talk to that's like, loves it as much as you do. Yes, yeah. And it's like, oh, yeah. Yeah, I don't. That's always what I'm searching for. So yeah, like, and I, I feel like weird when like, and I get it, like you said, sometimes comics are jaded and they're tired or whatever of the whole scene and the, and the art and the industry. But like, I find that like, I, that's what I love. Like when we talked after a mic, like that's why we got along so well because it was like talking shop immediately. Yeah, it was like talk. It was like amazing. I was like, oh my god, that's the most fun I've ever had talking to. A <laughs> Thank you. In a yeah. Long time. It because like that's the way I feel. Like we pour so much of ourselves into this, and you know, most comics start from a place of like pure love of the art of comedy. Like you talk to like yeah. a lot of first year comics, and they're in that Ira Glass place where like their talent might not be caught up but their taste is like amazing and they can rattle right. off all the best up-and-coming comics and it's like they they know comedy and they love comedy they just have to catch their talent they have to put in all those right. years that you need to actually get good at this and so like i find that some comics after they put those years in they start to lose that love like you hear yeah. like a lot of like old I comics think it's like, like oh, i don't even watch stand-up anymore and hey right. you can do that but part of me goes Man, that's sad. Like yeah. you love this thing, and and now you no longer consume it as a fan. And right, it's like exactly. I don't think I could ever do that. You no, know, because me I just like, love I'm it. always listening to new stuff and always like 
like one thing that I do is uh, there's tons of comedy on Spotify and I love listening to it and finding new stuff because there's all these new comics that get albums mm-hmm. and you'll be like, oh, this person, random person in Texas has an album now. Yes. And then I'll look yeah. them up on Facebook and it's like, oh, I have 15 mutual friends with this person. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, you know, oh, absolutely. And, it's uh, like, oh, this is so cool. And that's the thing that's like, I, I did this, I did this Joe yesterday. It didn't really work, but was a, um, but it's always so true is I always, whenever I'm at like, I don't feel like now or anywhere with comedy, I'm like, oh, there's too many comedians. <laughs> and then I meet someone and I'm like, like you and I'm like, oh, I got to have them on my, on my podcast. I like the personality. <laughs> we are in a comedy renaissance. That is true. I feel like there are yeah. more people doing it and trying it than ever before. I mean, even th- I think in the 80s when we had the industry renaissance, I still don't think I mean, I wasn't here there for that. But I right. still don't think that uh, there were as many people at open mics then as there are now. Yeah, I think it's I think it's just a, once it gets more popular and uh, that's the biggest thing. It's, it just gets more popular. Uh, a lot of like when I talk to a lot of comedians, like I'm a wrestling fan. So what's interesting about it is talking about it is how we came up and doing comedy is similar to wrestlers of how like mm. there used to be like. Like how we used to have, like, we used to think of like open mics and stuff. Like, if you didn't know what open mics were, I didn't know what they were. Right. It's the same thing. Like, if it used to be like, if you wanted to be a professional wrestler back in the like 70s to like 80s, like, you had to be, you had to know someone. Right. Family involved or something. It wasn't until they came out with schools in the late 80s. Yeah. And 90s till people could actually do it and look up online. Like, the internet was a big part of it. So right. like, it's the same thing for us. Like if you don't know, like I had no idea what open mics were, and if I did know what an open mic was, I probably would have started a lot sooner. Right? Yeah. But I since was I didn't know the... that at I... all, I was just like totally just did it until I could. So what basically what I did was uh, my um, my improv class. We started having uh, um, when we were doing shows, we would have uh, local like comedians open for us. Mm. And that's how I became friends with them. And yeah. one of the guys in my class was in my troop was a uh, was doing stand up too. So I asked him like, where do I go? And then <laughs> I just ended up doing it. So it was like, but to me, my phone it's it's always so like interesting to me to see like how different people handle that first time. Mm. Mm-hmm. Like I hear a lot of people say that like your experience of like you do it the first time. Yeah. Like oh, it's so, like to me what happened was I bombed. But, like, I explained it that I could have, like, fallen off the stage. I would have gotten up, like, five seconds later, like, so hyped up. Like, <laughs> this is awesome. Like, I was just so excited because of holding it back for so long. My first I, – I can look back now and recognize that it was, like, an especially brutal first time. Right. I laugh because it's, like, that's exactly my fucking luck. I, my first time was at a mic that they used to have in Philly – down by um, the old prison, which is fitting, called Urban Saloon. Right. Um, and it was run by – okay, so this is a kind of a funny story. It was run by an amazing comic who's still in the game, Alejandro Morales. And um, it was also run by a comic – I'm not sure if you know her. She's in New York now. Uh, her name is Hannah Sutton, but she used to go by Shortstack. Uh, oh, I've heard of her, yeah. So anyway, um, I didn't know that – Hannah was a comic and I show up to this mic. It's my first mic. I've got a bunch of like tweets and Facebook statuses that did well printed out on a piece of like printer paper, you know, like that's how fucking raw I am. Right. Uh, I bump into Hannah. Well, 
Hannah and I had actually went on a disastrous date like two years prior. And um, to her credit, she, it was kind of her fault not to put, I mean, it wasn't really her fault. She just got a little too drunk and then got sick. And then I had like kind of took care of her that night, like kind of like, you know, kept her on my couch, kept her hydrated. And it was embarrassing for her, weird for me, but we never had another date. Um, But no hard feelings or anything like that. Uh, then I run into her years later at this mic. And the first thing she says to me is like, Hey, didn't I throw up all over your house? once?" <laughs> Cause she's like a very super confident, funny comic at this right. point. I am like a terrified, like first time open biker. And I'm like, Oh God. And then, so, uh, she brings me up. I think I was on the baton handoff between her and Alejandro. So she kind of announces something similar to that on the stage and hands it off to Alejandro. And then he does a set and then brings me up. Right. There had been a um, group of kids uh, from Drexel, like not comics, like audience members. And they were very, very good audience members. If you had jokes. So all the comics were like, not really working on raw stuff. They were pitching like finished or like at least working things to this like one big table. And it kind of like made them entitled these audience members. And I went up and I must've been the first new comic in like 30 minutes to go up. So, or the one that didn't have jokes and I'm reading my jokes off a piece of paper. I'm sure my hand is trembling, right? um, getting nothing. And then all of a sudden two or three jokes in not yelling, but loud enough that you can hear it from the stage and probably all around. One of the guys at the table keeps saying to the next one, next. Oh, my God. (laughs) Yeah, it was so painful. And I got off stage. I tripped getting off the stage and almost ate shit. And then Alejandro gets on and goes, hey, comedy is a really hard thing to do. And when you're new, you're not very good. So show respect to new comics. Give that guy a round of applause. It's tough to do this. And, you know, that was very sweet of him. Yeah. But when you're in your first time, it's like adds to the humiliation. You know, like, I don't need the host, like, coming up and, like, Right. Me, you know yeah and it's very sweet of Alejandro. he's a great guy um but it was so funny at the time i was just like mortified right because then you feel like uh it's like how i feel like in, it, it's like you feel like in, uh like you don't want to feel pitied it's like yeah it's like you just right want people to, i don't want to be pitied yeah exactly it's like no that's like you I want to fit in i think that's the own. thing that's that's the greatest did you have any uh did you feel like you fit in with the comics when you no. started? No. no. I, you know, I am – I find – hopefully this doesn't give me any trouble. I find that Philly is a very tough scene. It's a very, oh, I bet. It's not a very friendly scene. I've been through – I've been all, all over. I haven't spent much appreciable time in comedy scenes other than L.A. and Philly – but I've been to Denver a bunch. I've been, you know, to Columbus, Cleveland, um, uh, you know, Pittsburgh. I've been to like, uh, you know, uh, cities in between. Um, and you stop in and, and, and you go like, there's a bunch of things that like people are more encouraging. The scenes are a little tighter. Um, and especially like when once I had already been doing comedy in L.A. and you go in and you say like, hey, you know, I'm just in town for a little bit. I'm from L.A. Most people in other cities go, oh, my God, that's so cool. We had a comic that went out there. Do you know who they are? Oh, that's so cool. You know, like, uh, let's let's get you up. Like, like in Denver, people wanted to put me on shows like sight unseen just because like I had a couple of comic friends that knew me that lived in the city. Right. 
they were like, oh, you're from L.A. Great. You're on my show. And then that turned into a bunch. And it was like, oh, cool. So I get back to Philly with like an act and I'm thinking like, okay, I get why they didn't like me when I was a rank open micer. It's hard when you have no jokes, but they'll like me now. And my, the, the, even the reception I got as like a five year comic that they didn't know was very cold. And that kind of made me feel actually a little better because I was like, all right, it wasn't me when I was new. It was this general toughness, this like Philly cultural toughness that's right. like permeated the comedy scene where it's like, we don't give a shit who you are. We don't have much sympathy for you for being new. Like you got to earn it. You got to prove it. Uh, and even then when I came back with jokes and I had like some, I didn't have real like great credits, but I still had credits. And I was like, oh, I've done, you know, this, that, the other thing. And people were like, okay, LA. Like it didn't impress anyone. In right. That's All so, they cared oh, about so is like, tough. can you get up and can you tell jokes? And then like after, you know, well, then COVID happened. But then coming out of COVID, like after uh, I was performing a lot around and a bunch of Philly comics saw me, then I started getting respect in the scene because like Philly, it was like, OK, we know you can do this now. Like we've seen that you can do this. So a lot of people, I wouldn't say many people were mean, a couple people, but uh Mostly it was just a coolness, like an, like a really like powerful coldness. Right. And uh, I really hadn't experienced that even in L.A., which is cold in a different way. L.A. is cold in like the impersonal kind of like, look, there's thousands of us trying to do this. But in a way, there's also warmth there. I feel right. like Philly, the warmth comes in once you've shown them that you can take your lumps. Right. Like a big one that happened to me was when I first I got back right in time for. 2019's Philly's Funniest, I think it was. And I went up and I didn't realize that the first rounds were mostly bringers. So I just brought my girlfriend mm -hmm. and I went up and I did the best objectively. Like everyone else had a couple people had good sets. Uh, I was getting like applause breaks. I had to like cut jokes out of my six minutes. Oh, wow. Great. That's so cool. Yeah, it was great. And I have great tape from it, but I didn't move on. I don't know why. Just as it happens, I didn't move on. People were coming up to me after the show and being like, hey, congratulations. And I'd be like, well, I didn't move on, but thank you. You know, like people just assumed that I had moved on. Um, and whatever, it, it is what it is. It was just a competition. I was, you know, a little upset in the night, but, you know, you, you move on. And uh, then uh, Steve Bickle, who's an amazing comic, he was running a mic. And I went to a mic the next week and he, like, announced, he was like, you know, this next comic Everyone, there's one, you know, every once in a while, some comic comes to Philly's Funniest and totally gets cheated out of a, a moving on. And this was this guy. He turned in one of the best sets I've seen at the whole competition. Uh, please welcome Dan April. And it was funny, a couple other comics saw that, me do that. And I think a combination of me doing well and then not being like a little bitch when I lost, like I didn't post on Facebook about it or whatever. I didn't really care, you know? Right. And uh, I think that combination of like, coolness and talent i think that actually endeared me to a lot of the comics that were in the room that night and then that led to like a couple of bookings and then you know the kind of like everything with comedy it flows from there right it was funny the philly definitely makes you earn it like there's nothing none you know me that i the fact that i'd done the store the fact that i'd done the improv the fact that i'd done nerdist and shot things for tv like none of that shit mattered in philly but oh my like, god uh, you just brought up like <laughs> you know it's funny you mentioned all those things you bring up a bunch of like 
topics now that I want to ask you. Oh yeah, that. yeah, please, please. I just no but worries. the thesis on that is Philly did not give a shit until they saw that I could consistently deliver jokes and get laughs. So in a way, it's a purer city in that way. Right. But at the same time, starting out, it was very tough. Right. I can imagine that. Like for me, my only thing was like when I started out here. I'm in Jer- in New Jersey where I started. Uh, I was when I was growing up, I was held back in kindergarten, so I was the oldest of my peer group. And yeah. then when I started doing stand-up, I was the youngest of, mm-hmm. like, all the people. So, like, now we're cool. Now I know all these people in our scene, and I'm, like, you know, I'm kind of, like, a weird, like, name among it of, like, just this yeah. weird, like, yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're, like, like, if you've been in the game for so long, and you're a really funny guy, so, yeah, you become, like, a, um, like, a, go- a godfather in the scene. Yeah, also, and it's, like, you know? uh, it's, like, just this person. So, like, with them, it's, like, oh... But when I, I just remember so many times just socially just being like, oh, my God, I put my foot in my mouth. I, uh-huh. I'm totally like this is over. And then I'd show up and I'd be like, is everyone mad at me? And I'm like, no, no one remembers that. Right. And right, I'd be like, right. why are you holding me accountable for being an asshole? <laughs> <laughs> well, there is a comfort in that. And that like, I, I mean, I think that's a good lesson for anyone to learn, especially when they're like young and getting older. And comedy had taught me, helped teach me this, which is that like a lot of times, especially if you are awkward, like I'm a weird hang. Um, right. But um, the even if you're awkward, a lot of times in your mind, you're like, oh my God, I fucked that up. Everyone's going to think of me as the weird person. When in reality, most people aren't thinking of you. Yeah. So there's like this, in this anonymity, can be depressing, I suppose, but I find it empowering because it's like, right, no one remembers me. Like it, it right. I can be, uh, you have a ro- room to make mistakes. People are much more forgiving and less caring than I think. And especially as comics too, like, that's what I kind of had to learn is, like, everyone is sort of that way of, like, the way I sort of explain it. Yeah. Is a lot of, like, a lot of musicians and, like, actors, they can be very charismatic and good with people. I feel like with us, like, the saying that I use is comedians, like, when they're trying to socialize and, like, you know, do that whole thing, we're, like, we're just infants in suits. Like, we're just <laughs> trying to be like grown-ups but we'll never yeah. be grown-up we'll yeah, never be yeah, yeah. mature enough to be that way so you don't really have to worry like everyone every comic is socially awkward it's what makes us a comic yeah <laughs> and i never got there are comics in every scene that i've observed that follow that school this is a development even in professional comedy that i don't like uh, right. which is like the school of like i'm up on stage to tell you and try to show you that i'm the coolest person in this room right you know like even comics that i love do that like i that's my biggest gripe with uh he cuts it sometimes but like michael che has that kind of attitude Uh, um where it's like he's funny but i feel like a lot of his delivery is kind of like just so you know i am the coolest guy in this room you know and it's like there are other comics that do that and especially in i'll only bring him up because he's famous but like in every scene i feel like there are comics like that and um, it, it's like those people don't always act that way offstage. But the ones that do, I always have to laugh because it's like you're walking around here like you're such a cool guy. And then you're going to get on stage and talk about like premature ejaculation. Like, right. We're exactly. All fucking, we're all losers. Just the act of doing this thing in a way, in my opinion, makes you a loser. That's what I like about comedy. It's the art of the underdog. Yeah, uh, exactly. And, it is. So I feel and like I think sometimes it can be hard I maybe harder for them to succeed in it, but also like harder for me to enjoy it when I see somebody who's like, 
And this was, happens in LA a lot more than others yeah. where it's like, and hey, I'm rich problem. and beautiful and well-known and here are my problems. And it's yeah. like hard to This is the one problem that I have, like, especially with it now is like, especially that comics or the, like that me and you view as the underdog. Now the thing that's tough is that, you know, it's kind of a saying now, but like everyone wants to be a comedian now. Mm-hmm. So there is a level of uh, like, godness that goes to comedians now. yeah yeah it just isn't good so like to me like that's what i i remember here uh like hearing uh like the whole dave Chappelle stuff going on mm-hmm. i remember uh it was really funny uh sarah silverman she has a podcast now okay where she just you know she doesn't have guests on she just like talks about random topics okay and they wanted her to talk and her fans wanted her to talk about the dave Chappelle special she's like I don't want to. You can't make me. <laughs> but the point she made was like that we have to stop making comedians out of gods. I agree. And it's like, I totally understand that. I, like, I, I, totally I that. feel that so hard. And I think that's like a huge – to me, to get kind of take a slight sidestep from comedy, I think that's a huge problem just with the culture because it's like people put forth all this energy to – try and take down comedians and not just Chappelle. You see it happen so often. Right. Like this person is a clown. Like there are actual, like, and I don't mean to denigrate anybody. I'm happy when people are activists and when people protest, but like I had to look at those, that huge crowd of people that were protesting in front of Netflix and being like, your aim is correct. You should be fighting for the equality of marginalized people. But I don't really think that anybody is attacking anyone because of some dumb, lazy Dave Chappelle joke about trans people. Meanwhile, there are actual politicians that like, you know, on the far side of like one uh, 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 party, like support, like actually electrocuting trans people until they're tortured enough to be like, yes, I'm straight now. You know what I mean? Right, exactly. That person has nobody protesting them today, but Dave Chappelle has thousands of people protesting them in the front of Netflix. And it's like, Your aim is right, but your target is way off. Like, yeah. you're fighting for the right things, but you're fighting the wrong person. And it's right. like, not that Dave Chappelle doesn't deserve criticism for some of the things that he said, even in my opinion, you know, right. and all, with all my privilege. Uh, but it, it, when you make him out to be like the villain of Earth, right. when there are people who are actually vanguarding and, and pioneering these fucking awful societal structures, you, you were just... I, I, you're feeding into that idea on the other side of it. And then, then like you said, the making comedians out to be gods and stuff. It's just yeah. it's not necessary. And it's, it, it actually hinders to me the art of comedy because once we're not allowed to criticize things because you have elevated what we say into like a philosopher, the statements of a philosopher king or something. Right. It's like that hinders comedy and it hinders society. The whole point of the jester, you know, uh, is that they can laugh, they can make fun of the king, they can say the things that no one else and is the allowed king will to kill say them. because and they are fucking losers. Right. You know? Like people for some reason thought what like we got this thing like the jester's the most powerful person in the court. I mean, kind of, maybe in that one moment where he like says something that no one else can say to the king, but he's a dude in like curly shoes and like a curly hat. No one respects him. Right, you know? exactly. So, yeah, we've got this outsized respect for comedians, and it's nice in the way that it's like for us because it gets like you a little more respect when you yeah. say you're a comedian. But I think societally, at the top end of it, I think it's it's a very unhealthy relationship, right? And like 
to me, my whole thing is like, I always try to be like, I'm a very progressive person politically, but I always like to think like as a, whenever I think of comedy, I always think it's very, uh, I, my, my opinion is that it's both the most complex and like simple, like art form there is Mm -hmm. in the whole entire, like performing arts really. Yeah. So it's a real mix of like, yeah, there's a whole lot of context and nuance to what we do. But also, it's very simple. <laughs> yes, like, yes, yeah. totally. I, I so totally it's like, agree. Yeah, it's, like, it, it's a weird thing to had to explain. Like, to me, I always feel like whenever I look at all the stuff that happens with people getting in trouble, I'm always like, what is the... You have to realize the context that you're in. Because the one thing that annoys me a whole bunch is a lot is... Uh, and I think it annoys a lot of comics is there are good comedy journals there are a couple that like i know one that i'm friends with Mm -hmm. but a majority of people that cover comedy don't watch comedy right enough to know it yeah they cover it like everything else right so like my biggest problem like one of my biggest problems like i like that netflix has stand up on it i think that it's you know a great way great platform for comics yeah but the one thing i desperate i really hate about it is it's exposed stand up to people who are not familiar with the genre at all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they're not used to it. Right. So it's like so it's like we, what we see as a normal thing that we're used to, normal art and like crap that we're used to. People are watching it for the first time and judging it the same thing as like they would watch like Breaking Bad or whatever. Right, right. And it's like no, this is like this is stand up. It's, you know, it's a completely different ball game. And I think that in a way with, with like society with those people who don't understand comedy the, uh, uh, it feeds into this thing that I, you know, I won't use cancel culture because that's a loaded term no but, right um, there are people that seek to do like to say like oh you know I don't think they're as powerful as the right who talks about cancel culture lets on but the idea of like okay well this person might be a comedian but they have uh, sponsorship deals. They do commercials. They do this. They do that. Let's put pressure on the companies to drop them because they said something right. that we didn't like. And it's like I feel like a lot of that is um, born from the the impotence that our society has put like working people and poor people and marginalized people. Like um, Ted Cruz doesn't give a fuck what you do to him. You can't stop him. You know, right. but I think people go, oh, we can lean on Allstate or whatever and get them to drop some comic, you know. Right. So comics are simultaneously regarded as these like, you know, like I said, philosopher kings. But at the same time, I think it's not necessarily in the public consciousness, but it seems like the public also realizes that they're targets that can actually be hit. Unlike right. some of the other people like celebrities and things like that can actually be harmed by public outrage and so i think people are using and in this way i don't necessarily blame them i think it speaks more to just like the insane nature of our culture right now that they just want to exercise their power somehow and the only way that they can do it is take out which something they elevate to this huge godzilla like figure like well dave Chappelle's another thing because he's got right 50 million dollars but like uh and no sponsorships but like they'll elevate these comics to like these monsters that like that are like we mu- they must be stopped when in reality they're very easily stopped it's right very easy for like affleck when they dropped gilbert godfrey very easy for them they did it in yeah. the afternoon you know like it wasn't that hard 
So it's like, I feel like it's funny because in the public sphere, comics are held up or, or like the perception, they're held up as these like gigantic figures. But then really on the industry side and on the back end, they're not. They're very easily right. placed and disposed of. So I feel like there's a little bit of that too, where the culture's like, yeah. whether or not consciously or unconsciously, and they're attacking comedians and, and entertainers rather than politicians and like CEOs of businesses right. and things like that, because you can actually take down the comedian, you know? Yeah. And that's like one of the things, like, I don't know if you've been, I don't really pay attention to a whole lot of it, but like the John Mulaney stuff yeah. is so interesting with that because yeah. he's made his career, like basically being as honest as possible. Like he's talked about his life and his jokes, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but no matter how much he talks about who he is and how honest and like funny he is and makes it funny of how fucked up as a person he is. Yeah. Yeah, people that are fans of him don't want to accept that as him. Right. So when he acts that way, it's like I just explained to you. I just told you four jokes of how I was, how I did drugs, and now you don't understand that I'm an addict. And it's yeah, like... right, exactly. And I think that's another thing where it's like with comedians, I feel like the betrayal feels deeper to people yeah. when they say something that they find like Chappelle when he started his career he was the he was and i think he gets there sometimes i think i I think part of what chappelle's thing is i'll just say this at top is that he's rich and he's a little out of touch and that's why some of his jokes would have if he was a younger comic might have been a little more nuanced and now they're a little broader and And also broader that's his yeah to me i always think with him it's he has a very like clear distinctive uh like uh, thing that he's pro towards right and i think that sort of is mixed in the way that a lot of like young people are now like i wouldn't want to like just from what i've seen from him and everything is just like he he is an amazing comedian to talk about race yes and right. i think that's where he earned his bones too once, i feel like yeah that's what i think a lot of try people and now... get anything else any type of other subject yeah around it's just not his right. forte. Right. And I think, I feel like a lot what was lost in the sauce, I think it's be, mostly because the guy did like five specials in four years. It's hard. I, I feel like Carlin and then now later Louie, they set this really unrealistic expectation for comedy of like, oh, you have to be able to produce an entirely new special ready for right. five minutes every year. And I think Chappelle yeah. was holding himself to that standard and out the gate, his earlier specials, I think, were stronger out of that, like, five special chunk. Yeah. Then these, the last special just felt like it needed another year. And the thing I that like- I, and I didn't, the thing that I never liked about it was the marketing, like, that was my biggest part that was really, like, it got pretty heavy-handed to me. Yeah, agreed, agreed. Like I the, had problems uh, with it as a comedian, you I know, thought the beyond special, the, like, a, yeah. not this special, but the last special, uh, what was it? Six and Stones. Oh yeah, I thought was you know it's fine. I was like, yeah, this is fine. It's yeah, not right. good or bad to me. But what really made me hate it was after I watched the special, I watched the commercial for it. And if you've ever seen the commercial for it, no, it has Morgan Freeman <laughs> doing the voiceover, and it has Dave Chappelle running through a desert, like an empty desert, with a with a uh, what's it called, like a fire launcher, like oh, cool. okay, flamethrower, like, yeah. yeah. flamethrower. Fire launcher, flamethrower. <laughs> it's like what a caveman would describe. Yeah, it's like <laughs> you know. So he's running through with a flamethrower, and it's like you know, it's like Morgan Freeman in the background, 
as like voice in the background. It's like it's just heavy handed. Yeah, I, I get. It's that. like when you see a comedian with a poster of like that says like, and they have tape over their mouth and it says canceled or whatever. Right, right. And it's like this is just heavy handed. Like you, you know, and like, right. Well, and that's the thing that I agree with that heavy handed comment a hundred percent. And I feel like you know, as a comic, as a person, I thought it was a very interesting premise that he was attempting, which is what got him into so much trouble, which was it, it, which was his discomfort or weirdness at the idea that trans issues are also white issues. So now trans people get a speed pass to civil rights that black people are still waiting in line for. Uh, right. Because a white person can never have a black experience, yeah. but a white person can have a trans experience. And I feel like that is a very interesting, if difficult and nuanced premise. And I yeah. just feel like he didn't bring to bear. And I think the, the one thing that also like comes back to him being old and not really knowing. Right. Right. Is that he views all that. And it's it's a common stereotype, actually, for, you know, not to say anything like that. I don't know. I know sure. Research on this. It's it's a common thing that people think that that is only a white thing. Right, right. If you look in history, a lot of, like, I didn't know this, like, if you look in history, a lot of people from, you know, the LGBTQ movement and trans people, a lot of that is black people. Right, 100%. And he just doesn't understand the connection. And I think younger Dave Chappelle might have been able to acknowledge that, but I feel like older Dave Chappelle, and I think part of this is the, 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 the... the the weird like disadvantage that celebrity gives comedy, which is that when he's around tour and he's telling some of those jokes, which were straight up approach, some of those at this last special to me were approaching street jokes. Yeah, where, yeah. Uh, uh, specifically the anti-trans ones, and I yeah. think he deserves criticism for it. But I feel like he must have been out in the middle of the country telling these jokes and getting big laughs, in part because. Maybe he's doing these like, you know, he's from like central Ohio. They like a little more unsophisticated comedy. Right, of course. But also I think it's like, oh, it's Dave. We're laughing with Dave. Whereas any other comic at any other point in their career, if they had tried those jokes, would get a deserved amount of pushback from the audience and would have known to go, maybe I'm on the wrong side of this. You know, maybe I'm I'm, I'm advocating a position that isn't as strong or as moral as I think. And I think what's so tough about it is – like it's just an age thing too and like yes to me like i know like i'm very i feel very fortunate like this kind of topic of comedy but i feel very fortunate that like very early not very early on but like i guess early mm-hmm. like mid-2000s like maybe before 2010 a little bit before that like i sort of learned about transgender people sure so, like i was able to learn a lot more than i think a lot of people know and I yes that's what is very hard too and like i'm friends with a lot of comedians who are trans and non-binary and that's a huge thing too yes like what they go through like i remember um i I don't remember her name just complicated name the uh the trans comedian at the uh bar 13 Uh, epilite epilite Epilite, yeah she's very funny she's fantastic yeah and just hearing her talk about it like this whole thing is so it's so interesting and I can so totally feel for her. Yeah. Because she has that mix of like where she has those two things of like, we talked about it. Like when you're a comedian, that's like your own species of what you are. Right. Yes. It's your tribe. That was the most, that was the most. She has this whole other thing of being trans that she has to deal with. Yeah. A hundred percent. So she she talked about how she did a joke like on Twitter about like people being too sensitive. Mm-hmm. And she said, like, 
she felt like she was, you know, like doing a detriment to right, the movement. right, right, a hundred percent. I've had like, similar conversations with her. It's like, oh, wow. she's so brilliant. I when the whole Chappelle thing went down a couple months ago, she and I ended up talking about it, and her perspective was like really interesting. And um, and what was interesting is too is I have a, a few uh, friends who are comics and are trans. And um, I talked to a few of them about it, and it was interesting. I got, even in that community of the people I know, I got a completely different set of responses from different people. Right. You know, like, some people were, like, very hard on the, like, no, fuck him, you know, it was all bigotry. And then some people fell more on the, like, oh, he, you know, comics whiff, you know, like, uh you know, he, he just wasn't doing good comedy. I don't think he's really a big, it was funny. And so like, it, 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 you know, you think, or oh, you shouldn't think this, but like, it can be easy to get on Twitter or hear the outrage and think that there's like a monolithic block of thought amongst this community. And right. sure, there's an over, a dominating thought, uh, yeah. uh, but like, there are also like nuanced opinions that it's are just happening. like every other community. Yeah. You know, and I think you know. that a big problem is that Dave Chappelle is kind of learning. I think what uh, you and I know as, uh, uh, you know, cis white men uh, is that like, no matter what we might find strange in a community that we don't belong to, it's probably not our place to criticize that. You right. know, like it's probably the place of someone who belongs to that community or like right. is in is in meshed in that community to criticize that community. And I think that Dave Chappelle is so used to you're right. I think a big part of it is you said it. The number one thing is that he's old. Um, but uh, I think it's also that I think he's trying to use shorthand of like, well, I'm a black man in America. I know what it's like to be a minority. But the minority experiences between these two subgroups are completely different so i think right. he's trying to apply his general broad umbrella status as like quote unquote a minority right to apply to the trans community when they have a completely different set of struggles a completely different set of problems and like you said there's a lot of intersectionality in it right you know, that he doesn't i think that was one of the approach. biggest things that when he first started doing the material was that like people didn't like about that was like that's the that's the thing and that's something that like i think people in general just have to learn is like that people can be two things at once right and be you know and be a part of that and to balance that well the funny thing is is he doesn't seem to understand that but then when he tells that story i forget her name his friend the trans comic who took her own life is that her name Daphne, yeah. He he brings this point up as a premise. He says, like, she was a trans comedian, a white trans comedian. I'm a black male comedian. We were both comedians. So he even acknowledges the idea that you can hold multiple identities and contain multitudes. But yet he doesn't really seem to apply that intellectually to right. the jokes that he's telling. So the, one thing that so I, the only thing that I kind of liked about that was that, like, and I thought it was very sweet, was that he viewed her as a comic. And I thought that was kind of like a mixed thing, too. It's like, you know, that's what he recognized her as. Right. That was the most impactful statement, I think, in that whole thing for me, because as a comic, that's how I feel. I feel like once you become a comedian, they take, you know, strip away all the other context of the shit that he said prior to that. uh, Or or what your idea of what his motivations for telling that story were. The idea of that when you become a comic and when you start doing comedy, and I think this is a beautiful thing, you become a comic and that becomes, to me, the dominating tribe that you belong to. Right. And I feel like I get along and he touches on this too in his story. I get along with comics, no matter who you are or what you do, what your identity is, what your experiences are. If you're a comic, 
I probably <laughs> like you more than a regular person. Oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> you know? Because you just know that grind. Like, I, I just had that. Like, we were, you know, me and uh, my roommate that I moved in with, Vijay, uh, it, it's so cool. Like, we, we were doing a whole lot of mics and stuff all yeah. over. And uh, we went to this new mic, uh, and uh, there was this uh, comic there that's, like, Mexican-American, and he was, you know, fine. He was, you know, he didn't do that well on stage, but he mm-hmm. seemed like, you know, fine. He mm-hmm. was newer. And he, I just found out that he was like funnier off stage. Yeah. And I was just like, that's so like interesting. Just like he was a cool guy to hang out with afterwards. Yeah. And it sort of reminded me of that story of like that he tells, like where, you know, she opened for him. That comic, like, and, and she ate shit for like did 40 terrible. minutes. And yeah. then afterwards, at the after party, when she's like telling stories to people, right? And like, or she had a talking about she like experiences, like the she's audience. making them laugh. Yeah, it was, uh, yeah, I agree. It's um, and that's the beautiful thing about comedy is that it's like, like you need to be in your element. And once you realize, like, it's a shame, like that she's not alive because that's the great like thing to just realize. And I think that's the one thing that we're always trying to realize as comics is and this is the one thing that like is sort of like n- just noticed in Chappelle and like other famous comics is that comfortable the comfortable the comfort to talk to an audience the way that you want to talk to them yes yeah that's the big thing that I'm struggling with now that I want to sort of be like because whenever I go on stage I have to realize like I'm sort of trying to do that now with my with my act sort of and my set it most like what kind of like approach do i want to take mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. it's like do i want to be like kind of conversationalist do i want to just completely take over and just be like you know, yeah listen to me or like how do i talk to these people to make them feel like this is the best way that you're interacting right with yeah i mean i struggle with that too with all my stuff you know it's like am i taking the right approach angle on this joke am i doing the right thing i mean i have my voice like overall and my point of view has come into more focus maybe i would say starting at like year five things started coming clear as like what my overall voice is but when it comes to like individual jokes i still have that problem of like uh because you know if you're telling you know i I mean he's doing it at such a high level it doesn't matter but you don't want to be like a giselnik clone where it's like everyone like my knock on him is that even though he's great by the end of 45 minutes I'm kind of so lulled by his way of speaking in his tone I know the last line of every joke right. is going to be a hard turn yeah. so it actually sometimes can take away from it because it's like I know you're making yourself look at to be like a really good guy right now but we're about to take some really dark turn right. so I see that happen in a smaller less obvious way with a lot of comics where yeah, their voice might be strong or coming into their own, but they aren't throwing any change ups at the audience. They aren't. It's all the same style. And like every joke is kind of done in that one way or one or two ways. So that's what I'm trying to do right now where I'm pulling. I'm trying to pull myself out of my comfort zone of like the way that I deliver jokes and trying to deliver jokes in different ways so that I can create more of a because when you're having a conversation people are going to talk differently about different things right and, exactly uh, uh so i think that that's what i like you said you try to want to make it you want to create that ultimate illusion in comedy where you're just hanging out with somebody right and, um 
just shooting the shit. And yeah. so, so, like, if you can talk to the audience like they're your friends, like, that's the thing that's, like, just so uh, rewarding. Like, yeah. Read to me that I want that, that I want to be able to do that and have that comfortability. Yeah. Cause... yeah. Well, you have a very, you have a, like, you have that going for you. You have, like, a very sweetness to your personality. Like, you're, like, somebody, I think, like, when you get on stage, like, at least I watch you and, and I think, like, I want to hang out with this guy. You oh, that's know? good. That's, that's like, something that I think is, is difficult. I think you have it innately, but I think it's, like, it, it can be a difficult thing sometimes, especially if, um, if you're like, uh, like, I don't know. I, I, I like to think that I earn it, but when I started, I definitely had like less of a sympathetic sort of voice. I think now I've gotten there. I when think I started, I wasn't clearly communicating that like je ne sais quoi in comedy of like, uh, oh, I want to hang out with this guy. I don't know how to say like what your voice is to me. Like your voice to me is like fun, contational. It's like, it's like Thanks. confrontational, but it's fun. Thank and you. Funny. Yeah, thank like, you. Like what was really stood out to me was when you did that show uh, recently with uh, um, with BJ and uh, oh, everyone. Yeah. yeah. And uh, you know, it was just like that you know, was a everyone weird one. sort of did their own thing. It was sort of crazy. It was chaos. But yeah. like when you went up to every table and sat down and did your jokes and did your stuff with people. Yeah. It didn't seem like you were an asshole. It didn't yeah, seem like it didn't, see, it didn't come off in a negative way. Thanks. Like when you see Otis do it, you're like, oh, of course Otis, Otis is going Otis is younger and he's got a lot of anger that I don't have. So I think so that like, that's part of it. For you, like, like Otis was funny was uh, he put his finger in uh, Dan brought one of his friends. Yes. And he was thinking one of Dan's friends drinks and like he just did that. And like when I was with him, like he came up to me. He ate I don't care. Like he ate one of my he ate one of my fries and gave me a dollar. <laughs> yeah. No, he and but it's funny because like he is was is like that on stage, but he's yeah. a sweet guy off stage. He ate, he took a bite of someone's sandwich. Like a guy yeah. he was on a roll with eating people's food. And he thought it was my sandwich. And I swear, he texted me for a week. Like, dude, I'm so sorry. I took a bite of your sandwich. I was like, dude, well, it wasn't mine. But, uh, <laughs> right. and you're forgiven, I guess. I was like, I thought it was funny, but it wasn't my sandwich. Yeah. But like, he like made it a point to be like, ah, that was just a crazy night. And for anyone that's listening, the context of it is we, we did a show where there was three tables of four people at each table and it was a gigantic room and they were ambushed. They didn't know comedy was happening. And so it was a very tough show. So yeah, I, I, I've been trying, I did that at one other show at the beginning of the summer where it was a very light room. And um, I start off by like literally thanking everyone individually for being there. And then yeah. just uh, at that show, the first show that I did it, I was like, you know what, I'm going to sit down and, hang out actually inspired by another comic eating someone's food i had been at a show the week prior with Alyssa alduki they're an amazing comic if you don't know them and um they ate a french fry off of someone's plate during their set and uh i did another show this other show that was really poorly attended with them and so i was laughing and i was like uh, i'm gonna do like a, a thing that you kind of did so then i sat down with the, these people and i kept um 
like my favorite thing is I have that joke that the, I intro it by asking people what their favorite sexual position is. And so I love to actually sit down with people and do that. Right. Because it when really you did creates that. a tension where it's like I'm asking a question that they don't – a couple really doesn't want to answer. Right. But because I'm sitting down with them, it adds a tension for everyone. And so I found that really rewarding. I usually only do that when, you know, the the show, the audience is not engaged. But right. I find, like, it's one of those things where – if it doesn't break them open, at least I'm having fun. And then right. you, know, if you can't, if you can't make fun, you can have fun. It's very specific. Like I remember once seeing you do that. I was like, Oh no, I hope this goes over. Well, I hope <laughs> they realize he's a nice guy and he's just doing this to be funny. And they're not going to get offended. And then when they were like, just totally like, I don't know how it was with you at the tables. Like you can sort of tell me the like, what, well, what was, I, when I said that, like, I was like terrified at first. And then I was like, what am I being terrified for? This guy's, Dan's great. He's gonna, you know, yeah, so affable. People are gonna love him. And I, have, <laughs> I mean, that's the thing is that like I try sets like that, and like you saw, like there was a bunch of comics that I don't think anyone like lost control because I don't think the audience was engaged enough to no. have, get control lost of them. But I, a lot of comics prior to me going up had like very muddled sets where it was like almost like they could have been there or not, and the room would have acted the same way. Right. So my thing was like I'm going to try and add an element of chaos to this, but also keep try to regain the control of the room that doesn't exist. Now, was I successful in that? I'm probably not as much as I, I wanted to be, but uh, it's like, yeah, it's that idea of like, um, that's something that I worked on too with my voice is the idea that I get the luxury now of taking more chances with my comedy and the things I do on stage because my voice has been refined to the point where audiences generally know or assume that they're in good hands with me. So right. yeah. they let me get away with a little more. And that was, like I said, a leap I probably took maybe year five, somewhere after year four. Right. Where, That's so cool to hear. Yeah, the because... audience kind of said, like, you know, saw in me, like, okay, this guy knows what he's doing. You know, it's it, like, um, they, you know... there's a quote by, he does it in one of his specials, Pat Oswalt. Yeah. He has a premise that challenges the audience and they like groan. I think he like praises George W. Bush back when he was president. And yeah. everyone goes boo or whatever. He says, hold on. We're going to Mordor, but I'm going to get you all the way back to the Shire. And I think about that all the time because it's like, that's the way I think of it when I'm doing jokes or that'll challenge the audience or audiences that are just naturally challenged by any conditions in the room or things like that. Where right. I want them to know, like, no matter where we go, I'm going to get you home safe. You know, yeah. like at the end of my set, you know, this is, you are not going to hear anything that's like really awful or anything like that. It, it, like we're going to have a good time. And usually and the other thing that was really funny was when you actually started like at the end doing material yeah like this is just i don't know i, I think this is just a comedy thing we we're like this crowd doesn't deserve this material <laughs> <laughs> yeah like you started to do your great joke about uh the um the tv the uh like obscure like yeah. 80s and how, 90s, how 90s television TV shows the titles sound like, like slurs, slurs. Yeah. and it's just like it's a it's a great bit it's thank you it's really well written and it's thank just you. like it's you know well performed and everything and we're just like Oh, this crowd doesn't deserve it. Yeah, they, and they it. were kind of just like, all right. <laughs> like, this is like, you know, it's like, yeah, this is something they should have to pay for. <laughs> yeah. Although, that, what, what I was happy, as, like, I look at every, um, 
every uh, uh, show as like, did I grow personally? Every mic, did I grow a little personally? And I was laughing with, I think Otis and uh, Luke Kincaid about yeah. um, this, where it was like, uh, I grew personally on that show because I managed to walk two tables, but they stayed until the end of my set. They walked right. out at the very end of my set when I was right. like, thank you all, good night. And they were like, okay, we're done. Like right. they could have easily gotten up in the middle of my set. You know, right. but I managed to maintain enough control of these people right. that exactly. already wanted to leave that they sat down until I said good night. So yeah. it was like I held the, the power. Like you said, it's, it's that weird thing when you get up there, like you do have power because you have the microphone. And in that room, we didn't have a stage or like a spotlight or anything. But right. you, uh, when you have a stage, a spotlight and the mic, you have all this power. So that's why you kind of need to... You know, and, and comics all do this in different ways, but you need the ability to tell the audience, like, don't worry, I have all the power in this room right now, but uh, I, I'm going to, I know how to use it. And then also as a comic, especially we're talking about like an underdog, then you undercut that very premise by being like, and I'm probably one of the least powerful people in this room in real life, you know, like. Uh, yeah, you know, and, and so that was you, one of those nights that's like, that's a night that's fun in hindsight yeah yeah that's like you know that's what the that's where the adventure of being a comic is it's never like of course the good shows are always you know are always good they're always right, great right. you know there's always stuff from it but it's the stuff like that where it's like we you go expecting it to be you know this is the greatest week <laughs> we're all talking about this is the greatest lineup of the year right? yeah, yeah yeah a yeah, great yeah. lineup of comics and it's just gonna be like you know, so great. Yep. And then you get there and just like, it's, the guy didn't set it up properly. It's yeah, it's like, the night before Halloween and everyone's out partying and no one wants to see comedy. And it's just, yeah, it's, you're there and just like, okay, there were many comics uh, either like yourself supporting or on the bill as there were audience members. So it was yeah. like, you know, it was one of those shows. I, it's funny, I, I drove up there with uh, a great comic, good friend of mine, Jay Yoder, uh, and he's uh, a baby comic. He's, I think he just finished his first year in comedy. But he's funny ah. and he's getting a lot of opportunities he's been doing. It's funny you mentioned Stress Factory. He's doing a lot of Stress Factory shows and stuff. So he's like, he's booking out a lot and I'm very happy for him. But we were driving home from that show and he was like kind of a little bummed out. And he was like, man, it just like that, that audience really was just like didn't, wasn't into it. They weren't out in. And I was laughing. I was just like, oh man, you're going to have to, these are the shows that you got to learn to love if you're oh, yeah. comedy. Like I was like, you are showing your privilege here because if you haven't had a show like this yet that's not even close to the worst show i've ever done like i was laughing i was i was yeah food. i think that always happens like that's a good like that's the one thing i had to learn to do was when i got more experience and became friends with like comics that were like less experienced mm -hmm. like that was the one thing that was always like i had to remind myself not to be a dick about it and remind myself like oh yeah like even though I'm used to bombing, it's still new. Right, bomb. right. Well, that's what I was trying to, to tell them so on the ride home of like, you can't you know, be like, you can't be like, oh, get over. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that. yeah, 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 yeah. Well, that's also to, that thing you know, you that it's be like, easy. You know, it's going to happen. It's you also easy have to realize at that moment what it, what it was like back then. Yeah. Like once in a while, every like once a year, twice a year, you'll have that set where, you know, and I had recently where you have that set where you're like, okay, that was bad. Like that okay. was... And you feel bad about it. Yeah. But then, like, you know, I just always had to remind myself that, yeah, there's that. Like, people have that. They're not yep. used to it. 
Yep, yep, yep. Yeah, so, and that's all it was. It was that Jay is just such a good comic that he's been getting in front of these rooms where people have paid to see comedy and they want to see comedy, and he's, like, delivering great comedy, so he's doing very well. And his bad sets, at least he's even having, like, engaged people. But that show that you're talking about, people were, like, almost aggressively disengaged from the comedy. Yeah. Like, I remember someone tried to crowd work one of the women and was like, are you married? And she kept going, none ya. Like, wait. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, man, that is like a very aggressive way to respond to, to a comic. And right. uh, uh, and so it was just like, it, it was funny. And like, uh, then, you know, there were comics that were delivering material, bombing. Then VJ went up and he's a great comic and he just decided to just do nothing but crowd work. And yeah. then he struggled with that. So then I think I went on after him and I was just like, well, shit, I just saw comics throw like every form of comedy at this crowd and no one wants it, you know? So that was when I was just like, all right, I'm going to force them to not laugh. Like one of the things that got helped me with comedy is it makes, it's what makes it the hardest, but also I think once you learn that you have to grapple with this, it, it helps identify what you're doing is that like, it's the only art or I shouldn't say the only art, but it's the art that is the most personal between you and the audience. Like yeah. if you're a painter and people don't like your paintings, they're generally like, I don't like this painting. I don't like this painting on the wall. If you're a band, you have the, you're with a bunch of people and they go, yeah, I don't really like this band or I don't like this music. But if you're a comic, people are like, I don't like him. Right. You know, it's like, it's more, nobody, people don't normally go, oh, I just don't like his act. I don't like his jokes. Yeah. Like, I don't like this guy. So right. it's like, it's such a much more personal sense of failure when you fail. Uh, that's what I love about it is the stakes are higher. But um, because of that, once I started to realize like, oh yeah, it's like an extremely personal thing. That's why like, when I'm like, if I am eating shit or I'm in front of a bad crowd, I will try to create those personal connections with people because at the very least, if you're going to reject me personally, you're going to have to reject me personally. Right. That's a really good way to put that. Yeah. If I can't hide, you can't hide either. Like when I sat down and I asked that couple in that show what their favorite sexual position is, the woman wanted to like talk and have fun. But the man was like crossed his arms and he was completely cut off and he didn't want to engage. And I kind of just looked at him for a second, like not enough to disrupt the flow of the show. But I was like, yeah, you will have to reject me personally right to my face right now. I can deal with it. It doesn't bother me. But it's like one of those things where it's like, you know. I felt bad, of course, because those people were ambushed. But at the right. same time, it's like if if I will make it as hard for the audience to reject me as I can, if I can't do that with the jokes that I've spent a long time working on, then I'll do that in other ways. I'll try to manufacture it. Right. Yeah. That's cool. Uh, I have a couple more questions. Yeah, I, I, I'm, uh, I, I don't mind nothing if, to do uh, right now. So you know, this is like, a great conversation. You know, I like... Uh, I like you so much comedy wise and like everything and like you're just a great guy. I just wanted to make this episode a little bit longer if that's okay. That's totally okay with me. I usually do an hour, but I'm like, I want to stretch this out. I'm, I'm sure people would rather hear me talking about comedy than Dave Chappelle anyway. So. Yeah, so I was like, we just got to get. Yeah. yeah. So no, I just have... kudos to you, man. This is a good conversation. I'm having fun. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I always try and, you know, it's, it's funny. I uh, started this around a year ago and it's just like, you know, before I was just like doing random like rants and stuff and then i started interviewing people and it's like just so cool like yeah to and then now it's like you know it just keeps going now it's like okay and it's, right. it's so cool like some of the people like i just do a variety of people like no matter where you are in the comedy world i think it's all like 
every story sort of has something for mm-hmm. people. Mm-hmm. So if you're starting out, if you're a few years in, like you are, like uh, I just had a uh, one guy, uh, Gianmarco Sorenzi, I had him on. Oh, he's amazing. He's I amazing. That's and awesome. I had him, and I had like a feeling. I was like, he's going to get Comedy Central or something soon. Yeah. And then a couple weeks after, like he got Comedy Central, and oh, it nice. just came he out. It. Like, yeah. his, his half hour just came out uh, a couple of years ago. Nice. And just talking to him was so cool because I noticed this with a lot of my friends when they started, when the, uh, when COVID hit, uh, and they started doing shows with like, uh, comedy several more established than them, like Mark Norman and stuff. Yeah. It was cool for them to have this experience. And I have it now with my podcast where you talk to these comics and it's like, they're established and they don't, they don't view you as an open micer. Like, right. They view you as a comic, which is so cool. That is that's a big thing, and, and I think Jim Marco's in New York, right? Yeah, yeah. If I'm not mistaken. Yeah. So that is a, also like kind of a cultural thing when you're in the the bigger industry cities, where there's less of a um, there's less of a, uh, a a ranking system that gets put on open micers. Right. Like in LA, you'd be doing these open mics with people who had been on Conan, who had right. done like uh, you know Colbert spots and stuff, and you're doing. Uh, or, or like you said, guys who it's like it's only a matter of time before they get Comedy Central. Like uh, he just moved into the Philly area, Blake Wexler. I used to oh, see him at mics. Yeah, yeah. I used to see him right. specifically at this one mic uh, called the Lyric Hyperion. I used to see him all the time there, and uh, this was prior to him getting Comedy Central. But like you just knew, you could tell, you know, right. that he was good enough to get it, and that he was going to if he was, you know, takes a lot of opportunity. But you could just see that he was going to get it, and. Uh, then by the time I saw him back out here in Philly, I was I beat him out here by like a year, year and a half. But um, he already had it. You know, he was already had his credits. So it's like it, it, uh, in L.A., because of that, you're there's much more of like a professionalism of like there isn't like, oh, this person's an open micer. There's more of an acknowledgement that it's like, yeah, it can take 10 to 15 years to even like break through. Right. So there are comics at open mics that are funnier than people that are currently on TV, the open micers just, you know, right. Had the other conflux of opportunity that you need to make it. So um, I think in New York, I, I can't speak with any authority on it because I've only ever visited New York. But yeah. um, I feel like it's probably the same way where it's like, there's less of a like, Oh, this person's an open micer because there are people in the open mic scene in New York. I am certain that are like LA where it's like, you know, if this were the 80s, this person would have a sitcom, but it's, you know, 2021. So, right. Doing open mics, you know. Right. It, yeah. It's, it's a, it's a thing that's like just so cool. Like, of course, there's a hierarchy of like the business and entertainment stuff. But it's just cool to see that with comics to be like, oh, they just view you as like, it's cool when they view you as a part of their tribe. Yeah. As the comedian tribe. Like, that's the thing. Like, just talking about it again is like when someone, with a blue check mark next to their name like on you know tiktok yep. and like twitter and stuff realizes like recognizes you as one of them that's just a really cool thing yeah like, totally of like oh they do recognize that we're the same yeah <laughs> right. i mean that was one of the cool things about being in la um you'll run into these people who are like headliners and um you know celebrities don't really hang out but people right. who are like headliners like i remember I did a show and Theo Vaughn was the headliner uh, and he didn't hang out for too long, but after the show, like him, 
Sarah Tiana, a few other comics who like are now like well-known um, and at the time were like well-known in the scene and getting their shots. They're like first shots. Right. But they're just hanging out like anyone else, like chilling, talking. Uh, right. Jackie Cation, she's a pretty big comic and she hangs out after all of her shows and chats. And she actually like watches the comics. So I was shocked. She came up to me after a show we did. You said Jackie Cation? Yeah, Jackie Cation. She's one of my, she's one of my uh, favorites. One of my absolute influences. She's amazing. She's amazing. She's, I would love to meet her. She was. You would love it. She's a, she's a like very like spectacular uh, and amazing human being in addition to being a hilarious comic. Yeah. Yeah. She just, she just always inspires me of how like she just stayed like her and uh, well, like, this is sort of an interesting question that I've sort of talked with people before is like, have you ever had a comedian that you saw before you did stand up that you didn't like or didn't get their act? And then after you did stand up, mm-hmm. you like them. Hmm. That's a really good question. So for me, it was Maria Bamford. Okay. When yeah. I first saw her, I didn't get it at all. And then afterwards I thought of her and I saw her and I was like, she's a fucking genius. Yeah, maybe, hmm, I'm not sure if I saw him before I got into comedy, but I was very young. Maybe Rory Scovel, I think, is like that. I didn't necessarily appreciate his, um, like, the high wire act that he's doing of his sets. And now, and it was very different, not just from the comedy I do now, but the comedy that I was interested in doing, or thought I was interested in doing when I started. But now, yeah, I can appreciate it from the score of, like, I don't think I could ever do what he does. Right. Oh, you know? and I, I'm like amazed by it. So yeah, I would say probably say, yeah, well, it's like that. It's like, Oh my God, I, I can't believe it. So yeah. for that, and odd uh, glass too. Like some of the shit that Todd does is very like, I would, I watch it in almost like awe Cause it's like, man, I wish, I don't think I could ever do it. Even if I was trying to ape Todd, I don't think I'd be able right. to do the shit that he does. Um, but it's, yeah, I just watch it and I'm just like, yeah, amazed at it. So, um, who are your people? Who were like the people that you were or influenced you to do stand up? Like, who were the comedians? Um, when I was a kid, my dad got me into Carlin, so that was something that I shared Love with Carl, my dad. Carlin. Yeah. And so, I definitely, um, I got, I came to Pryor a little later. I don't know why my dad didn't really like Pryor, but um, my dad liked Carlin. He liked Eddie Murphy. Um, he liked. Um, um, you know, some of the older comics like Dangerfield and stuff like that. Right. And so like, those were kind of who I grew up on. It's really like the classic, that kind of classic style of comedy. And um, I really liked the, um, I mean, I guess Carlin and, and Rodney are completely different people, but like Carlin specifically is like, I got that, like, you know, I want my jokes. I do have some silly jokes that are meaningless, but I want my jokes to kind of have, some point to them. They don't have to be right. serious societal. What I love about Carlin and what I kind of like, I have a, I have a thing that I like about the thing that's weird about Carlin is he's been, he did comedy for so long mm-hmm. that he has so many different eras, eras. Yeah. He had different eras of what he was. So a lot of people, like one of my things that I hate is a lot of people just only, a lot of people only focus on like the last 10, 20 years when he was, Odin is sort of doing more of his. And like, as someone who loves him, I feel like the la- his last decade was not his best decade. I think I feel- his best decade, like my favorite, is uh, like uh, middle-ish, like yes. when he was doing the HBO specials. You are all diseased. Maybe might have been his last, like really classic special. Right. Like before that, like I liked the, um, I liked his mix of what he what his voice was when he found it. 
Because his thing was that, like, the whole reason behind that was that he was, his dad was, like, abusive, so he he hung out with his mom a lot growing up. Yeah. And she was a linguistics teacher. Mm. And he fell in love with the English language. Yes. And that was, like, his thing. And then he was like, well, I'm also a class clown in school growing up. So I'm going to mix these two things. Yeah, and I think he did it perfectly. And so, I feel like, like he did it perfectly. Like, he'd be doing, like, armpit farts on one, leg album, and then, like, <laughs> in the same album, be doing, like, the seven words you can't say on television. Yep, yep, yep. Well, it's, it's funny. Like, he's, that was perfect, like him. He started as, like, the hippy-dippy weatherman. And then yeah. as he got older, he kind of, like, that faded out in his act. And I feel like when he was his best, it was, like, when the hippy-dippy weatherman was only half-faded. Like, once right. it was all old, jaded, angry Carlin, he wasn't as good. Right. But when he had that mix of jaded and angry and silly, that was, I think, when he was at his best. And it's funny, I had never even thought about this, like, consciously, but maybe that's kind of what I try to do with my stuff, because that's what I try to do. Yeah. I try to be and- fun and goofy, but I also try to have jokes that, I won't say matter, but, like, jokes that I feel like I'm saying things that, like, are more than just like dating's weird, huh? You know, but at the same time, I want to make it silly. So I feel like I have that joke about arguing with um, Nazis online. Right. And I think that, you know, people should, it's something we should talk about. Like there are actual like neo-Nazi movements that are gaining steam in America. That's a scary societal thing. But I use it in service to scream like a Nazi about the Wizard of Oz. Right. So, And that's such a silly, like, and it's good too. It's like, that's so funny the thing that I, I was just thinking of uh you know carlin now there's a huge uh there's sort of this like trend now which is great that people are sharing his uh his inter- he did this interview um with uh, larry king about andrew dice clay about andrew dice clay yeah. and it's perfect for like the dave Chappelle debate that a lot of comedians are having agreed because like the way that he just explains it is perfectly he's like i would defend like what he does on stage and everything as a artist and it's just like you know the way that he sort of talks about it it's the same way yeah, and it's, it's just like to yeah have i think that it's insight. to and me that's well, watching that, that video like, it was like yes like i that basically explains exactly how i feel about it too which is that it's easy and you're doing a lesser form of comedy by punching down like whether or not you this is what i would say to the people that think that like oh well funny's funny and punching down isn't a thing well it is a thing but i mean if they don't think it's a big thing my argument would be even if you can't marshal the empathy for other people like if you really care about comedy as much as you purport to say uh then recognize that shit as lazier and worse comedy you know that was what i was most in my when i first watched the special i watched it when the the Chappelle special when it first dropped so it hadn't had the, the the fallout hadn't happened yet and my reaction was this was kind of a lazy special you know, like I wasn't, you know, I get to inhabit my privilege. I did recognize that some of his trans jokes were like street level jokes. Yeah. And I was like, oh, he's going to, he's kicking a hornet's nest with this. To but me, my was thing like, was. I was mad because I was, was lazy. Yeah. I, I think it was a mix. Like, to me, I was like, uh, part of me liked, liked it in a way of like, this is kind of him digging himself into a hole and then digging himself out. Right. But part of me was like, you know, I think the biggest comment of it is like, is it too like he's been doing it? Like he he made the same point for the same for five specials, yeah, five specials. It's like you want to move on to the next sort of 
thing. Dude, yeah, we are the same it's exact like, We understand mind your opinion on this. I would, I would defend him a lot harder if it was one set of jokes in one special. Right. But it's this theme. He keeps going back to the well, and it's like, hey, I also think that tells you something about Dave Chappelle that he isn't really necessarily trying to tell people. But I think right. that... Um, I don't know what that is personally. Right. I have my ideas, but I think that like the fact, you know, it's, it's like you can judge people not just by their words, but by their behavior. And so I think right. for, for Dave, so, I think he's stepping in it with his behavior at this also, point. Also, that's one of the things like that I wanted to say about Carlin that's so interesting is like, that's sort of the thing, like being a, like, I'm very honest that I'm very progressive politically. And Same. George Carlin is one of the people that when I was a teenager was like, you know, I'm very much like, uh, like, I understand why people like Joe Rogan mm-hmm. and stuff. Mm-hmm. Because you know who my Joe Rogan was when I was 15, 16 years old was Carlin. Yeah. That was my, yeah. That no, was me my too. Rogan. That's so, funny that you say that. I'm I the exact understand. same way. I understand. Yeah. So when I see, like, people, like, that's the funniest thing now is, like, that sort of, like, thing of we have to sort of remind, like, who our people are and who people are. Right. So, like, that's always the funniest thing when, like, a lot of conservative comics will like Carlin. It's like, you wouldn't like it if you actually went and watched. I, I feel that <laughs> same way so hard. It's like you like Carlin. Do you, have you ever actually sat and listened to his specials and seen his specials? You would not like him. Like if Carlin was alive today, I think he Carlin's helped by the fact that he's dead and he was talking yeah. about shoes. That a like lot I mean, of, like, his his last special is essentially like pretty much a political speech yeah. that's like. Bernie Sanders level. <laughs> yeah, it's like a political screed. It's like less yeah. comedy and more like him screaming about politics. I agree. And it's like funny because it's like if Carlin was alive today, the content that he would be making would be such that none of these like right wingers that like hold him up would like him. You know, yeah, they only I think- like the, the side of him that was talking about like what you can and cannot say. Right. But his whole thing was like, it wasn't about what you it wasn't about that. It was like his thing was like, yeah, there's too much outrage over what you say. But right. Also, it's like, who's the person saying it? Like, that's a- right. Well, that's what he says in that interview, basically, which is like, look, he's a comic. I'm going to defend his ability to say whatever he wants, talking about dice. But he's yeah. like, I wouldn't do it. And I think that it's not. I think that it's lazy to punch down and not fair. But at the same time, you know, he was on that free speech. So it's funny, like everything other than Carlin's dedication to free speech conservatives would have hated yeah they actually like listen to him and apply what he said about you know bush or reagan or something to the modern era and so it's really funny it's it's also the same people that love hunter s thompson and it's like have you read any thompson like he is definitely not the guy you think he is like he's like yeah a bernie sanders style like he might not be like a down the line like 2021 leftist but He's definitely more on right. that, like uh, that side. Yeah, that's the one thing that's like uh, always so, and that's the the thing that happened, and it happened, uh, you know, um, before you died too. Like I remember when the uh, Carlin quotes became a huge thing online, and yeah. he had to come out with on his website. Like if it's not on my website, I didn't say it. <laughs> and yeah. it's like you know, his daughter still deals with like that whole thing yeah too. yeah and it's like you know she well, that's a knew, weird like, thing anyway where people put like memes on top of a comedian and it's not shit that they ever have said yeah and people like, do that to zach galifianakis and oh it's really like, 
do you know who he is as a comic? Like, it's some, like, sort of, like, pseudo-poignant thing about society for whatever... Oh, wow. Whatever direction. And I've seen Carlin, I've seen Zach, but it's so funny when I see Zach, because it's like, he's not even... No. Like, a social commentator. No, I I love his comedy, and I think uh, his his stand-up and everything is very uh, under... It's underrated, Agreed. of course, because like a lot of people don't know. Well, yeah, he's his his persona like, is very uh, big, but and also a lot of people of like, don't like know live at the Purple Onion or any yeah. other stuff. To yeah. me, what I think he is is he's an influence to a person that everyone loves now, and it's honestly one of the people like uh, Bo Burnham. Yes, cites him as that. Like Bo Burnham says that. Like if you watch Bo Burnham's first special, which I love, that a lot of people don't. That first special know about the Comedy Central one. Uh, Word, Word, Inside Word, was my favorite. Is special of his. That's completely. He says the character that he did the the like that uh, arrogant mm-hmm. uh, like kind of brooding character was completely ripped off from Gallagher the Purple Onion. Yeah, like it's just like kind of cool like to well, see like that sort of like thing of like. Yeah. Or, like, if you want to talk, like, to kind of go circle back to what we were saying about that, like, push and pull of, like, tension and comedy, Zach was always great about that because he had that, like, haughty, arrogant, like, confrontational voice. Right. He would sit there and he would, he knew how to cut it with, like, a light lounge piano and stuff, but his voice itself is very antagonistic. Yeah, very antagonistic. And, and then he would get off stage and after, like, he's screaming at the audience, he'd get off stage and he'd come back with, like, a Revolutionary War outfit and a powdered wig. And he would right. do this ridiculous bit where he was like, thank ye, thank ye. How many of you rode in here on horses? Like, he would do, like, a 80s-style comedian, but as if it, he was, like, a Revolutionary War soldier. And, like, it was just, like, if you think of it as a whole piece, it's like the audience is all on board because, again, he has the authority, has them all right. in, in the palm of his hand. But it's like you just screamed that you hope these audience members like died and then you came out in a powdered wig like there's this he's another great comic to look at for like the push pull of like tension and goofiness and like aggression. And I wouldn't necessarily list him as an influence of mine in how I do my comedy. I'm a big fan, but uh, definitely like that's what I try to focus on in my comedy, the idea of like. How can I bring people through an emotional journey as best I'm able while still maintaining because our ultimate fidelity is to making people laugh? Yeah, I I love that he is my this is like kind of a section here. I love that his uh his uh like I love between two firms, mm-hmm. one of my favorite series. Yeah. His and the thing that I love about it, and it's also so uh if you've ever seen his um episode of comedians and cars. Yes, coffee. It's like his approach to how he dislikes fame and how he dislikes celebrity, yeah, and how uncomfortable he is with it. That he has been able to sort of do that in his later work and like sort of explain and show people like his point of view on that, yeah, in a really cool way of like, you know, he's like, you know, kind of like this country, like sort of like upbringing and he's like a very like i don't like the like spotlight right right and it's not like celebrity i think celebrity is silly and it's fake and it's like it's just so cool to like see him be able to do that and yeah make it like like i'd love to see what he's doing in his stamp now because me too i would just like i wonder how different it is yeah because it must be 
just like right with him mentioning but it's it's just uh, it's a really cool thing like he and i think when you see him in interviews and you see him like as a person you can kind of see him because he on i think in person off stage he really wears his heart on his sleeve and that but on stage and in his acting roles as well that vulnerability that is very obvious when he's speaking as Zach Galifianakis really comes through. And I think it, that's kind of what helps him be such an like aggressive guy on stage is that he has this deep well of like sincerity, empathy, and vulnerability that comes through even in his comedy when he's being aggressive. Right. So um, do you have any comedians now that uh, you like? Like that, yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, my favorite working comedian right now is probably Sam Morell. I just think when if you take like um, from a strict joke writing perspective, and talking about that pure control of the room, uh, I, I to me I think that Sam Morell is probably the best comic working in the country. I mean, um, names that I mean he also is you know has like a YouTube video with like seven million views. Yeah, he released a special. I admire that too. He released a special for free, and that kind of made him like this minor celebrity. That My he... favorite comic, you might know who he is. Uh, not a lot of people do, which is unfortunate, is uh, Hampton Young. Oh, I know. I, I know Hampton. Oh, That's you do? Funny. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, I wouldn't say we're friends, but we're acquaintances. He yeah, he's he's great. Yeah, he's one of my absolute favorite comics. And it's so, like, weird that, like, not a lot of people know about him. And I'm yeah. like, oh, he's one of my favorite. Oh, that's so he's awesome to hear that, one. man. I want to have him on my podcast so bad. Like, yeah, that's, yeah, that's he would do, he'd probably like, do I feel it. Like he... If I reached out to him, like just like knowing as a fan and knowing about him and like listening to his podcast and stuff, like I feel like if I reached out to him, he probably would say yes. Um, I can tell you, I've had a few interactions with him. Uh, I used to produce a show in LA called Graffiti, and we had him on once. And um, before and after the show. Uh, it, there's another comics really really funny his name's jake nordwind he's a good friend of mine yeah um jake hampton and i kind of hung out by the door when people were coming in um and you know it's a comedy show we start 30 minutes later than we advertise and so like as people are coming in um we're kind of hanging out and chatting and then the show starts and i wasn't hosting that night my my co-producer was so i kind of hung out with hampton and jake and just kind of like was like shooting the shit and it was so funny because like hampton was at that phase where he was crossing into he very easily could have acted like a lot of comics at his level and just been professional polite friendly enough done his set and then left right. Wouldn't have thought anything of it that's exactly how the majority of comedians behave um hampton hung out was where we were riffing on jokes together and it was like he did feel like that kind of guy sometimes especially as a younger comic, you're talking to these comics that are more established and you think of like something funny that you want to say, but you're like, I don't want them to think that I'm like an always on guy or like whatever. So I'll just be like cool and chill. Uh, but Hampton was not like that. Like he was riffing on me. Like we were friends, even though we had like met only like one or two times prior. And right. like, I was riffing on him and we were all laughing. And like Jake is a really like funny cutting kind of comedian. So we were all kind of like mocking each other. And it was just, dude, it, uh, you would love Hampton. I can tell just from. Oh yeah. I, I always like, I, I'm just a huge fan of his and. And his like, jokes. I don't just mean as a person he's amazing, but as a comic, he's fucking brilliant. Oh, yeah. Like, like some of the stuff he does is just like I watch him and I'm like, man, I wish my mind worked like your mind worked. Yeah. He has three albums on Spotify and they're just fantastic. And it's also cool to like see that like transformation too. Mm-hmm. Of like 
There's one in 2008, one in 2015, and one that was came he out. Was he fat for the first one? Hampton used to be a big, a real big guy, and then he got yeah. Fit. It was the, yeah. the 2008 one. Is when he was a little bit bigger. Yeah, and uh, it's just like it's so interesting the different ways. And like what I love about him, is he's more high energy than yes. I am. Yes, but as a, like a point of view of like what is silliness is like that's what I relate to a lot of. Yeah, it's like oh. oh, being able to talk about that, and also like. With him, another big thing is I just had this comedian on Mana, and uh, what is what I like about him too with, with like him and uh, Maria Bamford is the uh, <coughs> talking about depression, like the same thing with Patton Oswalt. Like, yes, talking about depression in comedy is a huge thing that's very uh, like important to me because I deal with that. So it's like, yeah, I like that sort of he has that in there. Yeah, about. like you, he's not and, too preachy, but he talks about it. And no, like, right, and that was kind of like what I was saying about the Carlin is mid era stuff, and then like what I try to do with my stuff. Hampton does like it brilliantly, which is that idea of like we're going to talk about a serious thing, um, but it's you're not necessarily unless you're really paying attention going to get that the through line of this whole hour of comedy is depression. He might only directly bring it up in a few jokes, but there is this theme that's interwoven throughout all of his jokes that continues to come back. And it, you don't know if you're a layman or you're just vibing, you might not see it because he is running around stage doing voices and screaming and being very funny and silly. But the underneath that, the foundation that he's built all of the silliness on is like a very well-reasoned, well-thought-out like dissertation on, in this case, depression, but really whatever subject he's attempting to tackle. Right. Yeah, so it, that's like, that's one of the things, like, I don't have like a whole lot of like major, like, that's the dream name. That's like the dream name of like the person that I would love to have on. Uh, you should sincerely reach out to him. I, I want to reach out to him. From my, my experiences with him, he seems like the type of guy that would do it. Yeah, because I just love that, like, and also, there's not like a whole lot of uh, like the big part to me is like to have someone on is since I talk about origin stories, there's not a whole lot about his like start really. Yeah. So he hasn't really talked about it a whole lot. So like, yeah, I know that he started in like 2000 and like he used to be a comic book writer with his okay. brother. But like that's it. Like I would love to hear like his start in Washington and everything and like yeah. all that stuff. So it's just like. It's so I just like to hear how he's doing. I yeah, hear how he's doing. Because yeah. that's the one thing that sort of is like a thing. Like he didn't have a um, – he he hasn't had a couple episodes of it. He hasn't done his uh, podcast recently. Yeah. But uh, the last time – but he always does it. He always is great. So yeah. I want to ask you about that. And uh, Yeah, I would say Sam Morell. If I mean, if you were going like more esoteric um, – I guess I would say, hmm, I, there's a lot of great comics that I was lucky to know yeah. um, in LA. I'm, hmm, I don't, I don't think the people like the people that you always get excited to see. Well, here in Philly, I'm a big fan of Jake Matera. I think he's really funny. He's mm-hmm. got that like silliness and sweetness. He doesn't really do mics anymore. He's he's in that rarefied air where he gets like regular shows right every week. But um, he uh. He's amazing. We started it almost the same exact time. Um, we were in open mics together, and uh, he was super nice to me back when I was doing those like shitty urban uh, saloon that that awful experience. He right. was one of the few people that like encouraged me and was nice to me. And um, 
it's fun to see. Like I went to LA maybe six months later after my first set here in Philly. And then he went on to become like one of the biggest comics in Philly. And he should probably be in LA or New York, but he's got like a family out here. But, um, the, uh, and it's funny, it's like, you know, I'm back here and um, doing open mics, criminally underbooked, anyone want listening to this, but it's fun to see, like, oh, I started with this guy, and now he's on, like, the top of the scene, you know? Right. So it's, it's, it's very rewarding to see people, that's why I hope to see Hampton in more things, it's very rewarding to see people who deserve it get it. Right. You know? Yeah. Um, so uh, you mentioned uh, Nerdist. What do you do with Nerdist? Um, I shot a TV show that didn't go to air. It was called This Is For Late Night, and it was supposed to be a uh, late night showcase. It was where comics all um, were to do what they would do if they were on Colbert. And, uh, you know, they had a multiple. Right. We did it. It was supposed to go to TV as like a uh, it was like going to be like a cable level show. But it was cool. It was like a five camera multicam stand up show at Nerdist. And um I did great. I mean, you can see the clip. Anyone that's listening, if you Google my name, Dan DePrio Comedy, there's just the one where I'm in front of the Nerdist sign. You can actually see the set. But um, the uh, yeah, uh, it was fun. It was one of those moments, those L.A. moments where like afterwards you're like, I know logically this isn't like making it, but it feels like it. Like it was like right. the best shows I ever did. In fact, funny story for that. I got off stage. And uh, one of my really good friends who she's becoming a big comic now, her name's Danielle Perez, another one of my favorite people and comedians. Um, she was uh, there and she was like, let's go get drinks now, like after like and celebrate. And we're like, all right. We went to like a nearby bar. And then the next thing I remember, I woke up in my shower in the morning at like 10 o'clock in the morning with the shower, just like blasting cold water in my face and my roommate, like banging on the door, like, Hey, you've been in the shower for four hours. Are you oh my okay? God. I must've just passed out. And I was like, that's where I came out of my blackout. So I don't remember anything about that night other than like my set. Uh, but yeah, it was, uh, it was great. A couple of people on that show too. If I'm dropping names, the host was, a. Uh, Another favorite comic of mine, a guy named Brad Davis Silnitzer. And if you want to talk about, uh, he might have dropped the Davis. It might just be Brad Silnitzer now. But if you uh, look up him, I don't know if he has any clips online, but he was one of those comics whenever he showed up. And he was my peer. Right. Uh, whenever he showed up, it was like, you go into the room to watch because he's delivering something that's silly, but also like has is like poignant in the way that good comedy is. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, you know, yeah, that was the, the it's so cool thing. something called This Is For Late Night. Um, like most things, it didn't go to air, but hey, that's what you do. You keep you keep taking swings at it until right. they let you in. Was uh, How are your parents with uh, the comedy? Do they like it or are they? Uh, yeah, it? my mom didn't like it because I moved. My mom uh, didn't want me to move. Um, so she was upset about it. Uh, she supports me generally. She's not the kind of like mother who's always at my shows or anything like that. Uh, she's come to a few, you know, she, right. she's very supportive, but I've seen some moms become like comedy moms and that's not like her at all. Right. Um, uh, she's a great woman, but yeah, my dad, funny enough, my dad was like a uh, MAGA Republican guy. He passed earlier this year, but uh -huh. he, uh, he, he's the one who kind of got me into comedy. And when I was younger, I wanted to be a writer. And uh, he was always mad because he was like a Republican. He's like, what are you going to do writing? What are you going to do with that? That's not going to ever make you any money. Uh, you're not going to be successful doing that. And uh, 
then weirdly enough, I went into the working world. And then when I was 30, I started doing comedy and I was almost nervous to tell my dad because I thought I was going to get the same treatment as when I was 21 and I wanted to be a writer. But because my dad loves comedy and he saw me perform a few times after a couple years of doing it in L.A. and I was good, he was like, oh, my God, my son, the comedian, you're going to be great. And it was so funny because I would have thought it would have been the opposite, that my mom would have been like full hog supportive because that's the way she's been with like everything else in my right. life. But with comedy, she's like almost like, that's nice, dear. Like, I'm glad you're, you're good at it and you enjoy it. But right. my dad, who was always like, what are you doing this for? Why would you do this? And art, why don't you learn something? Like when I started doing comedy, weirdly enough, he was just like, my son, the comedian. And then when he paid right. all these people I didn't know, he was like a tax attorney. I had to contact them. And they were like, your dad would always tell us what a great comedian you were. And it's like, oh, holy shit. Like, he was embarrassed when I wanted to be a writer. Well, what's right. the difference? I just write and speak now. Right. But, yeah. Uh, and then they so just... It's funny. Oh, that's such a, that's such a funny, uh, like, coincidence to yeah. just what we've been talking about. Yeah. Like, the the high horse that people put comedians yes right exactly my dad definitely bought into that and i think because he was a comedy fan i right. think deep down my dad thought he in another life he could have been a comedian he yeah. never he was too old school to ever speak that out loud right but i think when i did that in a way unbeknownst to me i was living one of his dreams right so i think yeah. like he in the way the conservatives kind of do when it affects them they're suddenly permissive of it yeah uh, I think that he saw me doing well. And also I think if I sucked, he wouldn't have supported me. Oh, but yeah. I remember doing this show with a couple of really good Philly comics. Um, oh, another comic while well, we're name dropping Rachel Fogletto. She's awesome. I did a show with her. Maybe I was like three years in the comedy and it was like the rest of the show, Rachel and I crushed. And then the rest of the show was like regional comics. That's kind of struggled. Right. And because of that, even though I probably wasn't as good, if I watched myself now, I would probably hate that set. But my dad saw me better than any of the other people and him being like a very conservative, competitive guy. That was the moment he flipped yeah. up and was like, my son, the comedian. So it was like, I don't measure myself against other comics like that. I measure myself against myself. But once my dad actually got to see me on one of those beautiful shows where like you're shining, you know, on the stage, uh, that was when he immediately went into the like, so you're going to, stay out in LA and make it happen. Right. And it's like, yeah, sure. Dad, conservative father telling me to go broke following my dreams. Right. But oh. yeah. So that was why I had a very, very weird uh, family situation with that. No, that makes you know, sense. I mean, I have the same thing where like my parents are conservative, but they're like, I always say they're like same conservative. Like, yeah. The way that yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like, they're like sane conservative. Right? <laughs> that's the it's like, you know, that's that's the one thing that's like at least I'm lucky for. It's like yeah. it's like, okay. My and dad like, at least had more thought out reasons. Like he wasn't like a Q guy or anything. Like, right. But like with my dad, it's just more like he didn't like I don't think he never liked Trump before, but when Trump became president, it was just the, it's that thing of like that sort of and it's weird, like we sort of talk about like our tribe as comedians. It's the same thing that people have that in life too. Yeah. With being a right winger or a left winger is that people have that same type of thing of like, you know, the one thing that would always annoy me about my dad is he would, you know, you know, it's kind of stupid to say like, because everyone is, but like my dad is like 300 times smarter than Trump. Right. Mine too. Yeah. I'm like, what, what can even possibly drive you to him? Right. And, the part of me just realizes like that's their person 
uh, yeah. that sort of represents. So it's like you sort of have to like accept. He's like it. their avatar. Yeah. Yeah. So you my dad to like be like you're gonna fall on it. Like my mom was good for. She was like she's pretty quick to like get off and be like I don't yeah. like him. And her yeah, stuff yeah, is very yeah, much yeah. more mixed. But like it was just interesting. So I think my dad liked. My dad was not like culture is not was not so culturally conservative that he was into Trump like an avatar. In fact, for like the first couple years of the of his administration, my dad lied and told me that he voted for Gary Johnson. And it was only when the stock market went up like crazy, like right. COVID, yeah. that he would let, he let it slip. He's like, you know, you told me, you you said I'd be pretty dumb to vote for Trump, but uh, you know, my, my stocks are doing all right. And I was like, wait, you, I thought you voted for Gary Johnson. And he was like, well, and I was like, well, okay. He was, he knew enough to hide it, but at the same time he, and as he told me, he was just like, I, I almost didn't vote, but I had to stop Hillary Clinton. Right. And I was like, oh God. Fuck. And it's like, it's you funny know, to like, me, like the like thing of like, you know, I don't know what you were like to me. I didn't vote in the first, uh, in the Hillary and uh, Trump won. Trump won? Oh, I did. I, I'm I'm hidden in a, in, I'm secretly an extremely politically active person. I oh, really? tend wow. like very, uh, like I don't give a shit. Um, and because a part, part of that is because I want to talk about, I, I have a lot of problems with the left and I, I, Oh, me too. I, 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 mean, I think that's like that joke, right. Uh, that's like in uh, life of Brian, where like every leftist group breaks up into like four people that talk right. about because every you just, group. You, you can't, uh, like to me, like I talk a lot about it on this podcast, like to me, I'm, I, I always have that, like, you know, that was the thing that was very cool to my parents and like, what's cool to a lot of my conservative friends that are like around my parents age yeah it's like what's cool to them is with me like i don't consider myself a left-wing person i I, the way that i sort of call myself politically uh like i took a political test online and i know the like technical term for what i'm called is anarcho-socialist okay what i call myself (laughs) is an independent progressive okay like i'm I'm registered as an independent, but I'm mostly just like progressive, progressive, progressive politics. So yeah. it's just like, you know, and I don't like either of the both like two main parties. No, the... I wish we lived in a functional system where. Right. I it's like, yeah. So, you know, it's funny to them to hear like, I don't like the same people they don't like, but for completely different reasons. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, I... oh, I hate Nancy Pelosi, too. But not for but the not for you your reasons. Her. Yeah, I hate Hillary, Hillary Clinton, but not because she's a cannibal. Right, uh, like, right. It's like, yeah, oh, I like. Uh, but yeah, uh, <laughs> like, it's, yeah like, it's funny because um, I mean, I'm I am like, for the, I don't think it's I would have considered myself a dirtbag socialist until right. that actually became a term to describe like the come town guys and i like the come town guys i feel like if we met we would get along but uh right. i think like to me as soon as that that got um that got a term and isn't this the most leftist thing i was just like i probably am not a dirtbag socialist anymore because then i have to align with like that umbrella of like what those guys believe. And I don't agree with some of the things that they talk about. So it's like, I am very independently minded. I believe that everyone should do this. I I'd forgive them for not doing it, but I practice what I preach and that for every issue, I try to make my own mind up. I just right. happen to have a very far left inclination on most things, but then yeah, being a comic, I think, you know, helps you out. And, and you yeah, because people that's the one thing that is uh, so funny. You're talking to my dad 
and uh, like he sort of asked me, he's like, you know, or I better like a lot of your comedy friends are liberal, and I said, you'd be surprised. Yeah, but a lot of them are libertarian. Like, right, you know, my uncle is then. Or like totally, they're a lot like like aren't they? They're just like they're libertarian, and it's it's a weird thing. It's like you know, it's like they're cool on most social issues, but most of their stuff is like just caring about like marijuana legalization, yeah, and then not like listening to the government at all. Yeah, or like (laughs) uh, yeah, like a friend of mine who comes out to some of those. And it's um, like I think a lot of comedians that are like that, like are anti-vax and stuff are not anti-science or anything they're just like it's the same thing like i said of comedians earlier it's just that rebel thing yes a hundred percent and it's that just, underdog thing of it's like just being anti-asshole we're, we're comedians born are very anti-authority ish so yes. no matter what it is right and i think that's the biggest line of it too now, and it's funny that, funny enough usually the um kind of authoritarianism that f- affects I mean, like, I would say a right-winger would say that, like, taxation is authoritarian or whatever, but comics don't make enough money to really be in high-tax right. brackets, so it doesn't affect us. What I think the authoritarianism like socially... that we see is usually culturally coming from the right, and so that's why a lot of comics appear left. But I think um, because we talk about culture and where you get the most totalitarian culture push, up until very recently, I, I do – that's what I think – cancel culture what they try to they're using that umbrella term to describe this like yeah. general well, totalitarian movement of like purity of thought on the left for me my problem with sort of the cancel culture debate is that to me it's always existed and it's always been 100 percent. it's always been mixed on different from different places you know one of my biggest uh things of that is um uh like I'm not a big comic book guy, but okay. the the comic code was a mm-hmm. thing where yeah. they made basically what happened was they had to put on whatever like comic that was sort of like you know not kid friendly. They had to put it on the sticker on there. Yeah. So basically, what happened was Stan Lee wrote a comic for Spider Man that was uh, like anti drug. That was like anti drug. Yeah. And it ran. And it was great, and all parents loved it and everything. But the, they put the they were going to put the warning on it because even though it was against drugs, since it mentioned drugs, they had to put the sticker on it that it wasn't for kids. Right. Even though they wanted kids it to was, read it. Right. It's anti-drug. So they had to get rid of that to be like, and then that got rid of it. And like it's the same thing. It's like you look <laughs> at things now. Like I look at the things now, and it's like, okay, who are the two like things? The two people this week. And, you know, will always be, you know, little Nas X conservatives mm-hmm. are always trying to yeah. cancel him. Yeah. Nas X, that guy. Yeah. And because uh, of uh, his being gay and the whole like. And just his being like, yeah, a very aggressive. And his like mixing of the like what he does with the genre of music with the. With the uh, it is funny. He does get a bigger pushback because like of country, I think, because he, they're like, stay at our music, you know, and it's like. And then it's like. Yeah, and then it's like they, 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 they don't like that. And then they had the whole thing with like uh with uh Big Bird. Oh, God. Which is like, you know, that's not even a surprise because conservatives have always been yeah, against Sesame I mean, Street. That's been a long battle for I I've been long under the uh idea that conservatism is just a political pushback to 
the fact that like the left and liberals won the culture war. Right. Like, when you're screaming about Big Bird telling kids to get their shots, like you're on, you are, to me, should so obviously that that you're on the wrong side of culture at this point. Uh, and also, you're screaming like, at Big Bird for fuck's sake. You are wrong. Right. You know, and it's like, but that that's kind of the whole purpose of modern conservatism is to use the imbalanced nature of politics to gain a power that right. you would have absolutely none of if popular culture was for. God forbid, part of like like the, our governmental system, right? You know, so it's always so funny to me the things that get like the people get, and that's what I always say. Like now is like I saw this, uh, I shared it on Facebook recently. Was uh, Anthony Jeselnik did this interview? Uh, I don't know if it was like it was probably a couple of years ago, and they asked him like, "Can you joke about anything?" And his thing was, I used to be able to say yes, but then he's like, you know, so many people have like things that are just the line for them. Yeah. He's like, my mom, my mother, ha- my grandmother has this disease. And if someone made a joke about it now, I probably wouldn't find it funny. Right. So it's like, it's just an interesting thing to hear. Like, to me, that's my, that's my main problem with the cancel culture debate is my only problem with it is when it's blamed as only being one-sided. Agreed. Because to me, I'm just like, look at the biggest like part of it is just look at like South Park and Family Guy. They've gotten hit from every both sides side. of being, you yeah. know, they piss off, you know, the Christian right wing people. Right. And the left wing people. Right. And it's just like it's everyone has their thing. Yeah. And, exactly. Uh and, you know, sometimes with all that stuff, especially with, uh, I felt like with South Park, brilliant. They were on for a very long time. They had yeah. misses, too, where I think in right. both directions, they were just incorrect. Like, right. where their take on the issue, even when they were, like, making fun of, you know, a conservative or an idea that I am opposed to, I was just like, you're off the mark here. Like, you don't understand. Right. So, like, even those guys were, like, sort of, I guess, in some sort of political center, I guess right. I could say, or some something approximating it. They, uh, they were off because sometimes you can't see outside of your own position in a way that, it's, right. uh, you know, and yeah, people get, like you were saying, it's like people get uh, offended now and everyone has their thing. I, I am um, of the idea. I, I agree. I feel like everyone with comedy, comedians should be allowed to try Right. Like, I feel like Chappelle deserves a criticism. Like we said, he has four specials in running now where he's telling these jokes that even the ones that I thought were clever. uh, Right. He's already been told by the community, like, hey, we don't like this. Stop. You know, and if he did it once and went, all right, hey, I get it. I'm sorry. You know, these are jokes. I should be able to tell them, but I'll do better next time. I think that would have been he would have been fine. Um but I think that it's that he keeps antagonizing the people that are asking him to stop. Right. That's what's getting him into trouble. And I think with all comedy, I think that, that, that we shouldn't err all the way on the side of like, you should never be able to say that there are, I think my whole caveat to it has always been, it has to be done well. Right. It has to be funny. That's my only issue with it. That's always the reason these guys get into trouble. Chappelle's in trouble now because the jokes weren't funny enough. I mean, ultimately, maybe should he be telling them? Should he not be? I don't know. But the reason he's in trouble is because they weren't funny enough. If he had written, if like his his team turf joke where everyone's mad at him about that. If he had 
And honestly, from my perspective, I see what he's trying to do there as a comedian. He's, I think he's, to me, he's trying to do the Bill Burr thing where he's painting himself into a bad premise to talk himself out of that premise. Right. Fortunately, unlike Burr, we know that Chappelle has some weird issue with trans people. So there's more context in it. And so he can't talk his way out of it. And so I think like, it's too real with Chappelle in a way right. that, like if he had been able to do it better or convinced us that he didn't really feel this way, right. it would be way better received. Yeah. Like to me, I always try and think like, I always just, that's the one thing that I just have an issue with is just people thinking like, it's just all one side. Right. And to me, I'm just like, that's what I just, I always think like, you know, it's hundred percent. I mean, has that- their thing. And, you know, like I can't think of it off the top of my head, but I probably have things that like Sure, me too. I I I've felt that pang when uh people have made I think fun of me. I mean like, I don't anymore, but when I was younger, when I was in my like early twenties, you know, I was a little insecure about being five foot seven. You know, it's short. Right. Uh and so like whenever I would see like female comics make fun of short guys and stuff, or like make fun of short guys, I'd feel a little bit of a pang of thinking now I'm old now, I'm much I'm over right. pushing forty. But uh I, so I know that, and, I, and I, I feel that pain every once in a while where a comic will tell a joke and it'll just hit me in a right. way more than comedy. Now, I, I have the luxury of being, A, the ultimate privilege. I'm not rich, but I'm a straight white man yeah, yeah. in America, so the only thing I'm missing is money. But uh, the I have almost every privilege, so I can sit there and go, oh, well, this doesn't offend me. But also I think as a comic, I'm not offended by anything. Like not, I'm offended by real things that happen in the real world. I'm not really offended by what comics say, even when it's an open mic comic and they say something truly offensive. Like the it, the, the thing for me is like I get offended. You know, this is probably such a like <laughs> talking about what? like this is probably going too far as to talk about comedians. But like, you know, it, it, it it's to me it's more like I get offended more as a comedian. Yes, a hundred percent. I I and, totally agreed. To me, that's the biggest thing because when you want comedy be, to be done well, and that's the one thing that I've had to learn, and I think the one thing that I would tell people if they're going into comedy to be aware of is when you're starting out, and especially at like the level that I'm at now and where everyone sort of like my peer group is at now, you have to realize like you're going to see shitty comedy oh, at the level you are at. A lot of it. You're going to see a lot of shitty comedy. So you, can, so you have to know how to handle yourself with it. Yes. Like a big problem I've had sort of in like, you know, I'm a little bit better at it now in recent years, which is good, but I still have the issue of like, if a person doesn't do comedy well, it can be very hard to like them. Yeah, I, I know what you mean. And it's it's very weird. And, you know, you'll be like, this person is a very sweet person. Very, very nice. I love talking to them. Yeah. But then they go up and it's just like, oh, this is... Yeah. Uh, why are they doing this? <laughs> it's funny. I have that. I try to be, I, I try to make a point to be nice to everybody. Maybe in part, because when I started, uh, people weren't, maybe not directly mean, but they weren't very nice to me. Uh, right. So I want to be different and, and try to change that if I can. But sometimes it's hard. It's really hard for me with uh, people, like people that are come to audience, uh, open mics regularly as audience members. Uh, and they want to kind of like talk to you after the set and they know you the way that the comics that come to the mic know you, but they're not comics. 
part right. of me is always like, I, I can't help it. Like I'm nice to them and I talk to them, but in the back of my mind, I'm like, man, I'd much rather just be talking to a, a comic right now. Right. Like, somebody that we could be riffing yeah. or talking about a joke that we saw up there rather than, even if the person's telling me that I did great, you right. know, it's just like, I'm like, oh, well, if I'm at a mic, I'd rather talk to a comic who's doing it here yeah. than someone who's just here for their Tuesday night entertainment. I guess that's what right. it is. I truly don't you understand know, why you'd attend yeah. an open mic if you weren't working it. But Yeah. I mean, that's sort of a, yeah, that's a, that's a weird thing. And I think, you know, and I was like, think it's just the thing that used to happen. Yeah. And I think that's the one thing that we're sort of like, Pat Oswalt has a joke about it on his first album of like, that's what it used to be like. Like you used to have like, we don't have that anymore. No. Open mics, a lot of open mics now and like going back to the guy in the sailor hat and everything. Yeah. Like that doesn't happen nowadays. Right. Because comedy is swung in this way of where we control it a little bit more, where we don't let like homeless people off the street do stand up anymore. Yeah. It doesn't happen that much anymore. Right. No. So when it happens, when something like that happens, you're like, oh, like something snuck in like yeah like, yeah, yeah 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 like it's, they got it's it great it's like well because it's like that craziness of comedy that like especially when you see these long, long lineups it's you know seeing 20 people trying to manufacture like some kind of like thing some unnatural reaction right and then all of a sudden this just chaos explodes on the stage and it's right. like it's funny there's another mic that has a uh, guy he's like he runs the sound and he's like their unofficial like mascot and he's just this insane conspiracy nut guy and right. uh he gets on they put him on at the end of every mic because he'll like scandalize audience members and he like humps the stool and he screams about you know how joe biden is a clone and stuff and it's when he started it, he's been doing it for years. When he started it, I remember he would get, get some laughs because it was like all this chaos. But now years in, I don't know if he goes to any more mics. He's always in this one room. People are kind of just like, meh, like we've seen it before. Like I was right, and it's like, but apparently once he pulled his dick out on stage, and uh, I know the comics were just like, whatever, like this, you've been doing the same act for like two years, bro. It's it's different every time because it's just the ramblings of his like right. mind. But at the same time, it's like comics will get jaded with anything that they see too much of. And if Sailor the, Man comes on three more times, I won't be excited for him. Right, you know. And that was different from. I'm trying to think if that was the same guy. Oh, wasn't there another guy too? Um, it might have been the same guy. Was it? Did I don't know. Sing another guy, but song because that's his like the, the person who did the uh, sandbox thing. Yeah, that was him. Oh, that was him. Yeah, and I think it was that was the guy. I, I don't know if you were going there, but he dressed up as Deadpool for a set. Weird. Oh, yeah, maybe. Yeah. But hey, whatever, man. I'd rather see that guy. Yeah, but it was just like that was like yeah. It's like oh, that's that's just what. Yeah, like you'll see, like I like to see comics who grow and stuff, but at Mike's too, you're going to see a lot of comics that are doing the same stuff all the time. They're, right. doing, they're working the same five minutes that they've been working six months ago. And hey, I'm not criticizing anyone's journey or how they develop. Yeah. But and I think the audience thing now... member, that can be very tough. So when somebody shows up with this fucking random like sea shanty and he's dressed like a sailor, it's like, hell yeah. Like this, I, I expected to see someone work out a set that I'd already seen before. I did not expect to see, uh, you know, Popeye the Sailor Man. Right. So I, w- I want to get into that. Talk about COVID a little bit is uh, 
you know, that was the thing that sort of sucked about COVID was that it took away sort of the, 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 like the plan, the, the, uh, the schedule that you have as a comedian. Yeah. Or the, like the game plan usually is like, okay, fuck my mics to work up this material, to get on a show, to do the material, to get rid of the material, to do. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And now it's like when you're not getting on any shows, like to me, that's the big thing. Well, there's this huge log jam in comedy now, especially because of COVID, but also just because of like this era that, of comedy that we're in where it's just like there's so many people at the bottom. And then there's people that have started after COVID, like it, even though we're not out of yeah. COVID, but after. I know what you mean. After lockdown. Are, yeah. Who are new to it. And since it's coming back, like what I've noticed with it coming back, is now they have to sort of learn how to do it in the post yeah world which is kind of interesting to me like like the people that I I never did any uh, zoom stuff I almost did it once and then I just ended up like well if I'm going to do this <laughs> I'm just going to go on Instagram or yeah I'm going to go on TikTok like that's what I'm going to do like if I'm going to do anything online yeah. and to me my joke about it that I never did on stage but I should it's a my joke about it is that like too, I I don't have a proper way to show my comedy tits online. Okay, like I don't know how yeah. to do that. Like, like you know, a stripper can go and be a cam girl and be fine. Oh right, but me, yeah. it's like I don't know how to how to process how to process my jokes from yeah. on stage to online. Like some people can do sketch comedy super well. I don't know, and to me, I'm just like I can't do that. Like. Yeah, I, know, I really don't jokes? know. I, I hit the front page of Reddit once, and I thought I'd figured it out, but then I could never do that shit again. I wouldn't even get anybody, like, any reaction on that oh, shit. Oh, really? You I, you hit the front page of Reddit? I did. I was very wow. excited about it. It was about. Was it? it was actually a joke I don't even tell anymore. It was about, it was a topical joke. It was right after Charlottesville, and I said some, uh, uh, it's hard to remember because it was a long time ago, but the general punchline was, um, it was it, it was part of a bit I, I do about my grandfather being in World War II. And I was like, uh, my grandfather uh, fought actual Nazis. Uh, I know I'm never going to be the Nazi fighter that he is, but I'm a millennial, so I'm going to want my participation trophy. And uh, it was just this thing that I wrote, not even thinking it would go big. It was just something like I was like, oh, I actually have a joke for this exact tragedy that i had already been kind right. of telling and i posted it and uh it fucking got like yeah like seven or nine thousand upvotes and like somebody shot me a screenshot and they were like dude you're on the front page of reddit it was like oh well, nice That's you know so and cool. as it happens it didn't i mean why would it but it did nothing for me anything else i posted after that died on its own merits did you know didn't do very well and so that was the only time i ever had any sort of like viral I tried Twitter for a while, but Twitter is just like a life-ruining level of toxicity. Like, to me, this isn't really comedy-related, but like, for me, for Twitter, since I'm on Twitter, I always say this, like, it's important to be be on the different sections of Twitter. That's the problem. It's like, if you have interests, that's where you need to be. Because you can't just be on the news, pop culture, Twitter all the time you have to find the little things that you're into so like i'm on comedy twitter yeah and i'm on pro wrestling twitter and they and and news twitter and they all combine yeah i was gonna say comedy twitter is still politics and culture twitter unfortunately yeah of course but it's the same thing of like it's the same thing with being a comedian on facebook though like 
I like being on fa- on the version of Facebook that I'm on. Yeah, because I'm not on the version of Facebook that non comedians are on with their aunts. Yes, I I feel the same like, way about Facebook. Memes don't make any sense. Yeah, I don't get a lot. They of don't have memes. Shit. They don't have jokes. It's like right. You know, you might see stuff they might not agree with, but at least it's funny. Yeah, it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like oh, and then it's like scrolling through Facebook is kind of like being in that open mic where you're just like oh, like you just get to see these people jokes all the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Playing so that. You're like. This is them off stage and whatever. (laughs) It's funny. Yeah. uh, I don't know, man. Yeah. And I think that's the thing with like COVID, everything coming out. It's like there's a there's an even bigger log jam than normal because not only are there massive amounts of people at the bottom of uh, of the scenes now. All the headliners lost work for a year, yeah, or more. So now they're not only just doing the clubs; they're doing the smaller rooms that right. maybe the best twenty comics in the scene would be regularly doing. And now those comics have now moved on to the rooms that, like, the people who are the best at the open mics would be getting. Right. And then it's pushing all the people that deserve their first shows, like all these people that came out of COVID and are funny, but just like are new. They right. can't get those like early shot shows. So it like it pushes everything down uh, one level. And it's kind of like, I hope everything, you know, we, we stay on this trajectory and things will go well and we don't have to take a step back because I want this fucking traffic to move. Cause like I feel, and not even like I think a lot of comics, I'm sure, you know, if I were Hampton, I'd probably feel the same way. If he's still out grinding and stuff, he's at a much higher level than I am in comedy. Right. I, I'm sure we would both say some degree of like, I wish this traffic jam would move so I could level up, you know? Um, right. Because like you, you feel like, and I know a lot of people feel like that, especially young people. Cause I think that like level up happens quicker for some people on the, the lower levels where it's like, I'm ready to start booking shows now, you know? And I think a lot of these great open micers aren't able to book a lot of shows because like I said, the things are all kind of log jammed. So if the yeah. log jam would clear at the top beyond the fact that there's probably more, like we said much earlier, there's a lot of comedy happening right now with open mics. We could clear the front of the traffic. Maybe some of it would move on since the alternative is let, making people quit comedy. I thought COVID would do that, but the opposite happened. More people showed up at the end of COVID to do comedy than were, I think, at open mics at the beginning of it. Right. So, when you were like in uh, like Delaware and Philly area, when did you guys like start coming back to do like stand up? When did it sort of? So Delaware up? and Pennsylvania had f- much different laws, and so Delaware mics were open at times where there were no Philly mics. That actually were to answer a question you asked much earlier about how like coming from LA to Philly that helped me a lot too, because I was going to these mics that all of a sudden had all these Philly comics in them when before I had kind of right prior to lockdown and had some bad experiences in some of the Philly mics. So I was just like, whatever, I just won't go to those rooms. And so I didn't see some of these comics who came in and were nice people, but I just never met them because I stopped going to these rooms and uh, they saw me and they kind of like that got me a lot of shows because just because all of the Philly comics were coming down to these Delaware mics that I was already going to because there was nothing in Philadelphia at the time. Right. Everything was locked down. I'd heard rumors that there were like, there was like an underground mic scene that was like not 
it was comics only, but I wasn't in enough on whatever, whoever was doing it to be part of it. And I probably wouldn't have done it anyway, because I was very safety conscious uh, until I got vaccinated. But um, I remember being at some of these mics and I was the only, this was prior to the vaccination, but I was the only person wearing a mask. I would, I would bring like mic condoms, like these little like hair nets that you put over the mic. Like I was trying to be like real safe. Cause you know, the fucking right. Open mics are probably like the worst thing you can do during a pandemic. But uh, then when the cases all ticked up, everything shut down. Yeah. And then uh, everything everywhere shut down. And then um, I guess, you know, once the vaccine was more widespread, everything kind of reopened and people were back. Yeah. Like uh, I said, more people were out than, than, than went in, it seemed. Yeah, we came back really quickly, like three months. And uh, we um, it closed down, but we were at this... Uh, famous punk club called uh, the Brighton Bar in Long Branch, New Jersey, and uh, uh, it recently closed down uh, earlier, a couple of months, a few months ago, but um, what was really cool about it was uh, one comedian started doing it, and then uh, she went away because she was having, like, some personal problems, so she had another comic takeover, and he had hosted a bunch of mics over the years of the New Jersey scene, like, that was where like he sort of started everything like all the mics and stuff so we actually got the like it's a famous punk venue and we actually got it like technically turned into a comedy club like cool. they got a uh, like from the local like newspaper area they won two awards for best comedy club oh cool a comedy club nice and uh it was just very cool so we were there and when we were there and came back uh we were outside and Basically, what we found out that they did was uh, they were having, uh, I guess, the town or whatever. I don't know how they did it. They had, like, drones come and watch over, like, certain bars that were open. Oh, damn. And they and they, they did it for us. And they said that all of us were completely well-behaved more than any other place. No, there you go. Because <laughs> we all wore masks. We yeah, you masks. were obeying the rules. And we put the uh, – we had the uh, – the, the uh, mic covers and everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Good. we were just like, it's such a creepy thing to think like, oh, they had these drones coming, like, see if we were doing <laughs> Yeah, that's fair. So, I was like, oh, no, you guys were like the best behave. And it's like I, weird to think com- like... Cancel culture comics, is out of control, <laughs> like, Richard. They're the, droning comics now. The ones you wouldn't think are like, you know, the, the ones you wouldn't think are rule followers are... <laughs> yeah, the, you're... Uh, yeah, I don't have many followers on Twitter, but the NSA is one of them. So. <laughs> right, like, they're fine. That's so, uh, yeah, uh, I wanted to, I, I always have uh, the questions I ask usually about, uh, this is a fun one, is, do you have any, like, stories of, like, bad crowds or, like, heckler stories or anything? Yeah, actually, I, I told this story literally last night and had a, a fun twist on it, and I'll tell it at the end. The, uh, I had to do, I work, I love doing burlesque shows, being the comedian on a burlesque show. I think it's fun. Those kind of like bar crowds, rowdy bar crowds, those are the crowds that I like thrive in front of. And, um, so I always do them and I have fun. And there was this, um, one burlesque company, um, in like rural Pennsylvania, near like Pottstown, um, they, uh, they had me up a couple of times as their comic, and I always killed. I always had a good time. And then uh, they asked me to be their host one uh, one show. And uh, what is good? I'm getting like some weird feedback. Is everything cool? Uh, yeah. Let me see. 
Can you still hear me? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I just was hearing some weird stuff. Sorry about that. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, yeah, I was uh, – I they asked me to be the host of this burlesque show uh, in rural PA. And I said, yeah, and it was like – ended up being a um, – Ended up being a drag queen burlesque show. Oh, cool. I, I showed up, and there was a few uh, biological women um, that were there, and one of them was like the woman I was supposed to meet. She was new. I go up, and my girlfriend's with me, and I walk up to this girl, and I introduce myself, and I say, hey, I'm your comic tonight. And she puts her finger on like my throat and traces all the way down my body like t- towards my crotch, and I jump back. And she was like, you're cute. And I was like, um hey, this is my girlfriend. I'm your comic. Like, I'm here to perform. And I could see immediately she had this, like, sourpuss look on her face. And I like, rejected her. She was drunk as shit. Right. Uh, whatever. I walk away. 30 minutes to the show. I'm having a drink with my girl, whatever. She goes to introduce me. She's like, welcome to blah, 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 burlesque. Like, uh, are you ready for your host tonight? And everyone claps. And she's like, your host, he's a real piece of shit. And he knows what he did. And she stomps off stage and I have to get up there and like, they're looking at me like I'm like a me too violator or something. Right. And I'm like, I don't know her. I just met her. That's weird. And like, whatever, it just sounded off and they didn't like me even more. And so then I did a couple of jokes. They weren't laughing. I was like, all right, let's start this show. And I start reading off the names of the drag Queens and the order that they're going in. And I realized that, someone maybe the this girl or someone else was responsible for it they gave me the wrong names in the wrong order like the names for a different show and so i'm announcing drag queens that aren't on the show and all their fans are like no or like their names if they're right some of them are misspelled so i'm saying like the wrong names and all their fans are getting like angrier and then the, the other thing is they made these drag queens write their own introductions for me to read for them. But I don't know if the drag queens thought that like the host was going to be like a sassy gay guy. It wasn't. It's it's an overweight guy who looks like he voted for Donald Trump. So stuff they asked me to say didn't sound the way they wanted coming out of my mouth. I was like, you know, saying stuff like next up is the dumb bitch with an ass to match. And it's like, maybe that sounds funny from like coming from a different person, but to the audience did not like it. But hey, I had to. So I did it all. And in fact, at the end of the night, I said, um, I got up and I was introducing the last dancer. And she had done like European tours. She was like somebody important. And I was like, hey, uh, uh, please welcome so-and-so. And no one clapped. And I went, all right, guys, that's not fair to her. I was like, you don't have to like me, but she works really hard for this. So clap for her before she comes up. Or if nothing else, clap because this is the last time you're going to see me tonight. And I got a standing ovation on that. And <laughs> I literally just walked off stage. That's great. Like so like bummed out. I was like walked right off. I was supposed to get paid. I eventually got paid. But I just walked out of the bar into my car and uh, uh, just drove off. I was just like, fuck this. Like. My uh, thankfully, my girlfriend had left by herself. Right, she couldn't bear to see me die this hard. Otherwise, I might have forgotten and like left her because I was fucking. I beelined for the fucking door, just got my car, drove home, and just like yeah. reflected on if I wanted to do comedy anymore. It was that a- last part of that story of like what you said for the for the person that came up last. That is like also like just two things. It shows like what a good like person you are no oh, thanks and what a good like host like yeah well, to do that yeah and also that's like a like 
that's like an earn. Yeah, like they should have just paid you. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I did get paid. Like, I got, I got know, paid a lot. I got paid more than I was supposed to because the actual burlesque company owner who wasn't there, she got like sick or something. She felt so bad and like made it a point to tell me like we fired that girl. She'll never be back. I was like, look, I don't care that much. But right. like, uh, uh, but funny enough, I told that story last night at an open mic, and a comic that I just met named Russell Austin was like, wait. Does this girl look like this? Is she like a short blonde with like blonde? And I'm like, yes, do you know her? And he starts laughing his ass off. He's like, I did that burlesque show and she tried to grab my dick. <laughs> I was like, dude, I was like, okay, this is a, a pattern of behavior. We got a little like burlesque Weinstein out here. <laughs> but I think the show would have gone great if I had just been introduced in a not hostile, accusing and suggestive way. Right. Yeah. Now, I don't mean to uh, no. it's short but I, was gonna I, have, wrap to, up. I have to hit uh, the gym up that no, I was going to wrap up that was the last question I was going to wrap up but, so okay, cool. um, uh, what is the, what's your social media stuff um, I am on Instagram uh, you can find me at Danny Dapriel that's D-A-N-N-Y D-A-P-R-I-L-E um, I'm not on Twitter because that place is a hellscape I don't care right. what it does to me Um and that's it. You could have seen me on the front page of Reddit in 2017. Um, no, just Danny DiPriola on Instagram. Um, I do shows around the Philly area. I'm doing, I do a show at Animated Brewery in Coatesville on the third of every um, third Thursday of every month. So we have one coming up uh, this week on the 18th. Uh, although I don't know when these things drop. Whenever it right. drops, this will be out thir- in uh, a week. Okay. Oh, cool. Yeah, yeah. All right. So you might miss the show, but third Thursday of every month, I'm going to have one in uh, December 16th. So come out to the Animated Brewery in Coatesville. Uh, other than that, I'm around. All right. Well, thank you so much for doing this and for talking. Yeah, this for was... allowing me to ha- do a longer episode with you. Because... I was having a good time. This yeah. was this was great. I had a blast. All right. Great. Thanks. Yeah. Uh, thank you, man. See you soon. Thank you for having me. Yeah. I'll see you soon. Be well.